1: It is Wednesday, March twenty eighth, twenty eighteen. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the Hagman Report for today. We've got a lot of information, a lot of things to get into today. We've got a great program lined up for you, by the way. Uh, first, uh, the first segment here, we're going to be talking about the uh, what's really taking place. Some of the more important pressing issues of the day. Bottom of the hour, author Diana West. Well, I am. I've never. I cannot remember the last time I've been this excited to have a guest of this caliber coming on. And I really hope that everyone stays with us. Uh, Diana West is the author of a number of books, including the one we're going to be talking about tonight. And that is American betrayal. And the subtitle is the secret assault on our nation's character. This is the second time I'm reading this book. I don't know if the camera can show the highlights, but nonetheless, it's, uh, I've got so many highlights and so many notes in the margins that, um, That's, it's just incredible. And of course, her companion book to that is The Rebuttal. I'll be getting, we'll be getting into that here, uh, very shortly. Get ready to be progressively brainwashed. If you can believe headlines like this, Susan Rice named to the board of Netflix. Why should you care, right? You don't watch Netflix. That's correct, but others do. Uh, student the students organize, on a good note, students organize nationwide pro-life walkout to draw attention to babies killed by abortion. There is good in this world, so don't get caught up in the swampy swampiness. The Department of Justice opens an investigation into FISA abuse, Obama, FBI contacts with foreign spy Christopher Steele. This is all about Obama collusion with Russia. Now, how exquisitely this program has been crafted. Thank you, John Robertson, our, our, our producer and program director, and thank you, Tech Eric and Joe and Jackie, for putting this program together, because what what you're seeing today, and and I go over this in my morning program, what you're seeing today with respect, and what you've seen over the last well, specifically over the last uh, eight years, but over the last hundred years, really, is this in- incremental infiltration and sometimes not so incremental infiltration of this communist Soviet style communist ideology into our nation and talking about that will be Diana West American betrayal so everything that we're seeing today with respect to the uh, where we stand with respect to the uh, uh Infiltration, the communist infiltration, this push towards globalism, and specifically the blowback from this is, is couched in past history. And I I really, 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 one more time, really would urge everyone to go to DianaWest.net because when you look at what she is, what she has proved, in her book Uh, American betrayal about communist infiltration and the uh, and how it all began when you start looking at the post-World War II era and even before that but primarily post-World War II and during World War II under under Roosevelt the programs that he started look at those programs understand the history now And understand all of the time, all of the years, the decades that led from that period of time to the present, well, to 2016. Let's stop at 2016. And Obama, remember Obama, this Marxist Muslim, in my view, believing that Hillary Clinton would be back in office. I say back in office because, because remember, she was the co-president during the Clinton era. She'd be back in office. To, to really put the final nail in the coffin of our nation. But that agenda was upset by Donald Trump getting in office. Now, just listen to what I'm saying here. It's, it's not that Donald Trump's agenda changed Hillary Clinton's and the globalist agenda. It's the fact that his position in the Oval Office, his election, it's because of his presence, mere presence, stopped the forward movement of what was really the beginning of the end with Obama. I don't know if that made sense, but there's a there's a distinction with a difference there, and uh, uh, we, we need to we need to pay very close attention to that. Now, what we're seeing today is the explosion, the pushback, the blowback from that inability because of the Donald Trump presidency, kind of like a doorstop. Uh, it, it, uh again, uh, his presence there stopping, of course, the four movement into the full globalist mode using the communist ideology as the platform. So, so this program is going to be very intense, I believe. Uh, again, laying out the groundwork, having Diana West come in, talking about the past and the present, and you know it's interesting because, remember, you can tell a lot about a person or a, a lot about the person's message by the enemy. But by, Joe, once again, help me out with the with the adage, the saying, uh, what you can tell about a person with respect to the enemies that they have, the objections that they they receive. Yeah, um, and
2: I think what, it goes. What, you can. You can tell a lot about a
1: person by who his enemies are. Okay. I think. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. So when you see people supposedly on the right having a fit over, or more than a mere intellectual disagreement, but a, a strong pushback and blowback against a work, for example, like American Betrayal, th- then you can begin to understand, in my view, how intricate, and intricately laid these plans were from the very start. And it helps us to better understand Obama and his minions, Clinton and her associates and colleagues. And even to a significant extent, those people on the right, supposedly the self proclaimed Republicans, and I use Republicans and Democrats only anecdotally here, because we know it's a uniparty system or Maybe more forgiving it would be the the progressive fascists the liberal fascists using the moniker of uh, progressive uh, as a progressive versus nationalists or those people who are pro constitution so this is the fight we 're seeing internally but that fight has been exported as as well to to beyond our borders as well as imported so it's a, it's a two-way street here. So all of this combined. And then of course we're going to finish the program out with an hour of spiritual B12 shot with Pastor David Langford from the Voice of Evangelism. So this is our program for today. You'll have to excuse me. I'm losing my voice again for some reason. And it's because I apparently have been doing a lot of talking today. So I apologize for that. So my if if it sounds a little bit uh, uh, cranked up there, it's because of the strain. So. Uh, that's the way the program will unfold tonight. So we invite you to, to stick with us the entire program. And, and if we need a time filler, we can all sing happy birthday to Joe Hagman. He's 35 years old. Now, it's see, all downhill now see, from no, no, here. now wait a second. Look at me.
2: It's all downhill from here. Look at here.
1: I, Have I not aged well? Uh, or, You've or, aged very or, or, well. see, okay. He's, uh, again, I had him when, when I, when I was 10 uh that's my story i'm sticking to it and boy was my mother mad um <laughs> yeah. but anyway uh no uh, seriously it's it really is it's his birthday and i just want to wish him happy birthday he's, he's uh he's really uh, done done a lot been been a uh really a, a great son and we we appreciate oh you him don't him have so. to to lie and go that far
2: well but no gotta, I want to say thanks to everybody out there for the the birthday wishes uh just an, an average regular day you know obviously nothing changed nothing different uh same routine but um a year older today and uh i was saying this and I, I don't know if i said this yesterday or not but i remember when we used, when we would celebrate my mom's birthday and she would turn i think it was 35 or 41 of the two and getting the the birthday card for her that said uh you know made o- the, joke over the about hill. being over the hill and i can't believe that <laughs> Now I'm the, when I did that, I'm the same, <laughs> coming up on the same age. Time goes quick. You, you know, so, I, uh,
1: so, so many memories, and I, I've got to tell you, I've, I've never, you know, when, when you get to be a certain age, you begin to think about what's really important to you and what's, uh, you begin to think about your own mortality and your legacy. This is why the issues, I believe, are so important that we discuss, because this is not about me, it's not about you necessarily uh it's not about us individually this is what we're talking about is so much bigger than all of us because at the end of the day our life is really it's a short we have a short time here on earth and what we do with our life uh it it, it really makes it, it matters so use spend every day look at every day as a gift Given to, to each one of us, and that's why I, that's the way I have to look at it. Because, you know, you my to. wife always says, "Well, you're on borrowed time anyway," and, and that's pretty much the case. He's been saying that to you for for years, years and years. years yeah, my, I'm the only uh, guy I know who you go walking to the doctor's office. and My doctor, he's got a, they they have an office pool. Okay, on, on, not, uh, hospitalization, death, and, and whatever. But anyway. They do over-under on his, uh, <clears throat> on his, uh, numbers from, from the blood work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> very, and, and he's
2: not kidding either. I uh, mean, how I'm are you serious. still alive, Doug? Uh, you know, from, from, you broke our machine. Our machine doesn't count that high. How are
1: you still alive? And, and I'm serious. When I went in the hospital, um, and, and uh, this is so funny. When I, when I was, when I was hospitalized back in 2005, a lot with a heart, heart attack, yeah. Well, it was a minor heart attack. Uh, um, When they drew blood, uh, the nurse said, Is your blood always that color? And so so that makes you think a little bit.
2: And then don't let him fool you about the heart attack. He was uh, actually uh, in court uh, testifying. And I think he, uh, uh, he, he, he couldn't, uh, stand up to the cross examination. So he found a, you know, a, and I, I gotta and tell you,
1: I gotta tell you, 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 wanna, you want to, you want a way to, yeah, yeah, I was. And you want a way to, to just, uh, to stop the proceedings is just, just go down on the witness stand and, uh, very easy. I mean, it, and I'll tell you things did stop, but, uh, I gotta tell you, I've I sworn in and stated my name and next thing I know, I'm looking at lights. And, and it's, Yeah, that's kind of crazy. It's really weird. So, anyway, enough about that. Um, so, so, lots but, of stuff but, in the news. But understand life is precious.
2: So, yeah, go ahead. Life is precious. Um, I don't know where you want to start there. There's a few interesting pieces of the, in the news. FBI agent charged with leaking classified documents to the media. This is a very short story, but it talks about how the Justice Department filed charges against a former FBI agent Accusing him of leaking classified documents to news outlets. A name that we, uh, don't really know. Okay, so it goes on to say, Terry Albury, whom Minnesota Public Radio reported worked on counterterrorism matters at the Minneapolis St. Paul International Airport, stands accused of two counts of knowingly and willfully transmitting national defense information to the intercept and refusing to document related, uh, to terrorism recruitment. According to the Minneapolis Star Tribune, officials filed a two-page felony information document, which the paper described as a uh, charging document that typically signals an imminent guilty plea. Now, it seems, you know, this is a, some person who is working in, uh, out of Minnesota, uh, leaking to the intercept, but we have what, 30, was it was a 37 open cases that Jeff Sessions said he's investigating for leaking in the there are, Justice Department? There are exactly
1: 27 open leak investigations right now. taking now, place.
2: It's it's good to see that they did uh, that we see some movement on a leaker, but this is not uh, a leaker that has anything to do with the White House or with the, the President's administration and the uh, it is obviously a crime to leak information, but I wish we could be reading headlines about the people who are attempting to undermine the president by leaking information uh, to the media from D.C. Maybe if they start there and work their way out, then they can get to, to people like this. But it seems that the much greater national security threat with the leaks has to do with those surrounded uh, surrounding President Trump, and we see no movement, at least publicly, on those investigations. But,
1: well... We will see that happen, I think, with Bolton coming in. And I know that you're wary of Bolton. Everyone's wary of Bolton. I I get that. But I think that uh, just the ouster of, or just the exit, I shouldn't say ouster, just the exit of uh, uh, well the replacement of the National Security Advisor, I think we're going to start seeing some tightening up of the leaks because those those holdovers and the selections, the uh, imprudent selections are, are going to be out the door, I think, in a mass exodus. And I think this will be at the hands of, of Michael Bolton. No, I'm not. I, of course, John Bolton. I, I joke about that. But the other thing to keep an eye on, along with what Joe mentioned, is today it was announced, and I'm going to be talking about this a lot tomorrow morning, In the offshoots, the inspector general, Michael Horowitz, the DOJ FBI inspector general, issued a press release today announcing that uh, an IG investigation into the FBI, Department of Justice, FISA court abuse. You might be saying, wait a minute, I thought they were already doing that. Well, the announcement today, Department of Justice Inspector General Michael Horowitz has released a public statement, basically a press release stating that the OIG, the intention of the uh, office of the inspector general their intent is to investigate the fraudulent FBI FISA title one surveillance application submitted to the court against Carter Page this is a very narrow very specific investigation and the surrounding issues of the FBI using Christopher Steele to underwrite their evidence therein now this is, this is being reported. One, one source, uh, conservative treehouse, Sundance. So there, uh, hats off to you. Hat tip to, uh, to, to Sundance. Always on point there. Uh, Dan Bongino probably will be talking about that on Fox tonight, or at least Hannity and, uh, Carter probably will. I know uh, Sean Hannity will. Uh, b- but, but a hat tip should also go to Tracy Beans. Not specifically on this issue, but if you i, I and i, I didn't was't able to get back with her again today but but she is on point with respect to the impaneling of a grand jury at least that's the that 's the way it looks and she's received pretty much verification and confirmation of this uh, within the that would service the the swamp the d c swamp so watch for tracy bean's reporting on, on the impaneling of a grand jury, uh, under and by the investigator working with Inspector General Horowitz. The timing of this statement, I think today, happy birthday to you, Joe, with this statement, because I think this means a lot. So the, the, the timing is, is critical, uh, to, to issue this release today. You've got to ask yourself, okay, why today when pretty much the entire issue is being investigated on a larger sense. Why the narrowing of the focus? And why issue the public statement in such a manner? I think that's to put people on notice and I think uh the story of and just understand this, how this how, where we got to where we are today with respect to Robert Mueller and the surveillance of Donald Trump and his campaign and the campaign officials very simple. This was an illegal spying operation of Donald Trump, and they needed, once Donald Trump won the presidency, was once after Election Day, they needed to legalize or legitimize the illegitimate spying operation. But that said, Carter Page, before, during, and even after, The spying operation he was the integral he he was the the stepping stone into the campaign he was the fall guy he was the vehicle the mode that was used by the uh, uh, deep state in order to get to president donald trump then a private citizen and candidate and uh, president-elect and then of course as a president to continue forward with the surveillance of donald trump so this is critical Uh, so bottom line Pay attention to this and, and tune in to, to my radio show in the morning. I'll have more on this. But uh, I just want to bring that out.
2: i got an interesting piece here from the San Francisco Gate, sfgate.com. It's not really a, a big story, but we're going to get into this. So, So listen to this. A fairly well-developed fetus found washed up along Berkeley shoreline. So apparently somebody was walking their dog and stumbled across a well-developed fetus with the umbilical cord still attached. Now, the wording of this this article is very short, but listen to the wording of this. A well-developed fetus was found along the Berkeley shoreline, according to the police. Officers responded 2.39 p.m. to a report from a person who spotted the small body while walking along the waterfront. And it goes on to say that the umbilical cord was still attached to the body of the baby boy. Alameda County Coroner's officials responded and took custody of the body. It is likely that it washed up to shore from elsewhere, they said. The Berkeley Police and the Coroner's Bureau will investigate the case further to try to find out how the boy's body ended up there. End of article. Is this a murder? Is well, this... They so, call it so, a, a well-developed, well-developed fetus, but they also it, call it's it a, a, it's a child, boy, a, it's a, it's a, it's in the a, article.
1: A, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's an infant, a uh, newborn.
2: So why aren't <clears throat> homicide detectives looking into this? Notice they just said the police and coroner's office are looking into this. See, this is a... Well, depending on, on what they find, this uh, could have some interesting implications. How do you draw the line between a child and a fetus, where a fetus is
1: legally allowed to be killed? Well, in in this okay, the conflate, conflating of different issues here is kind of troublesome. First of all, you've got the language issue. This is not a fetus. This is a, this is a newborn child, um, and every investigation of a dead body Uh, it doesn't matter any unattended death until proven otherwise is always sop across the united states whatever police department is always considered a homicide but that's the question is this considered a dead body it and and that goes to your point and goes to the point of the language of the article you're correct we have to be more precise And, and this is we Always have to be precise in our conversation when we talk about this, but this is how the progressive left is eroding our culture in part yeah. is by changing or attempting to change a language it's not a fetus it's an, it's a it's a newborn child uh, it's in a any newborn society just imagine
2: uh, forget abortion uh, that it was ever legal i mean obviously we've seen in in, in the Bible how the uh, pagans and uh, those cultures used to sacrifice their children to Moloch. And other cultures before, um, here in America, the Incans and whatnot, many of these ancient cultures all had these, uh, pretty much rituals where they would sacrifice the, uh, the babies. But say we did not have abortion in this land and a story like this were, were to happen in, I don't know, say the 1800s, uh, and we could find one in a newspaper. I'm sure the wording would be a lot different. And as you said, look how Perverted they have uh look how how messed up this is from the language from the laws and to this response. could you imagine uh the you know America in eighteen fifties in a and a baby body washes up on shore of course there's going to be outrage they're going to launch an investigation. it would be called murder, but because of what we have this Planned parenthood and the legalization of killing babies. Apparently, even to not even offend people who believe in abortion, the writers of this article and can't even, you know, ask the question, uh, was this an abortion at sea or, you know, was this a, a murder? Um, and that is so troubling. And when we see the push yeah, for, it you is. know, the euthanasia <clears> for the elderly, and it's happening in, in Europe, it's not being talked about a lot, but, um, and you said how, you know, life is precious. Not to a lot of these people. And the laws and the agenda, uh, that these people are pushing, it is becoming less and less precious. And as the evil in the, uh, yeah, as the evil continues to grow, it's, it's gonna get much worse to where, you know, maybe the mentally ill won't be considered human after a certain age, uh, or before a certain age. We've seen the infanticide argument. You know, people, sh- mothers should be able to kill their children up to three years old. This is, uh, You know, it's already started, and it's only going to get worse from here. But I just, uh, it's really sad when you see uh, a story like this where they can't definitively say, or, or, you know, that that this dead body uh, that should be investigated as a murder. I I don't see any any other way of looking at it.
1: it, Well, I I I think we need, what we should do, and I think what what we will do is follow up on this, because with with the police department, we're going to find out, not the necessarily all of the details but find out um right the uh, i I'm going to get to the get to the heart of the the process or, the, or how they're approaching this because um uh, because we
2: know if a, a person uh, can be convicted of killing an unborn child uh if the person kills the the mother and the child uh, right right but if somebody wants to have an abortion and have the child killed it is not murder so it, it's very uh it's contradictory and and it it should not be able to stand it's a legal fallacy isn't it when you have um
1: well it, it, the double standard that's a big contradiction yeah yeah, yeah it's but, but there is no constitutional right to abortion there is no constitutional right no uh, that that is being bandied about by the by the progressive left and and again these are the uh, this is uh, this is the secret assault on our nation's character. You see how all of this fits in, Diana West, subtitle of her book, uh, and, and again, what we're seeing today is an, is an outgrowth of years and decades and even a century of of this changing, the fundamental changing of our nation, including our language. In stores like this represent just that. Yeah, we're going to go go have a lozenge, and I'm going to get ready for uh, (laughs) Diana West, who's coming back. Go ahead, Joe.
2: And then we have Pastor David Langford; he's going to be taking us out in the third hour. So it's going to be a great show. Don't go anywhere. Again, Diana West coming up. She's the author of the book "American Betrayal: The Secret Assault on Our Nation's Character," and I mean, there's so much uh, uh, that we that we're going to talk about with her and how our we're being assaulted in every direction, and it's only intensifying as we move forward. You're listening to this Wednesday edition of the Hagman Report. We will be right back.
1: Welcome back to this edition of the Hagman Report. How does that sound? Do I sound any better, or is it still sounding strained a little bit? Still strained. Yeah. All right. I don't know what happened here, but nonetheless, um, talking too much apparently. You're you're tuned into this Wednesday. March 28th, 2018 edition of the Hagman Report. We've got a very special guest coming up here very shortly. Her name is Diana West. She is the author of a number of books, including American Betrayal, which I have, I've got right here. The Secret Assault on Our Nation's Character. If you, you folks know, I am a, an avid reader of good books. This is perhaps one of the best books I've ever read before she comes on. You know, for those people who are interested in learning Uh, the real american history you have m stanton evans book blacklisted by history you've got another book by m stanton evans uh... stalin's secret agents when you begin reading these books and putting using this as the foundational material for our true history the true history of america and what the progressive left wants to keep from you and even some members on the right then you go to American Betrayal. Not, you don't have to follow it in this order. Uh, perhaps one of the most comprehensive books I've ever read in my entire life. I cannot say enough good about this book. In fact, this is the only book. You can ask my wife. Uh, when our daughter Jackie married Eric the Tech in the Poconos this past year when it was October, uh, I, I took this book with me in a notebook and I took a lot of notes. As a matter of fact, um that in her book The Rebuttal, which we're going to be talking about as well, because it's very interesting when that's he, the, the, the this okay. You're telling me about the critics? Well, yeah, the, this uh Diana West wrote a book titled American Betrayal. Then uh you know, in addition to obviously the the blowback from the progressive left, the uh in my what I call them, the liberal fascist, took to uh uh coin a phrase or use a phrase from uh Jonah uh, Goldberg, as well as uh, Greg Jackson, uh, you expect that criticism. But then, when you get criticism from people who are supposedly on our side, on the right, you know, yeah, about, about the factual, the, the yeah, the factual criticism or the criticism about, about or the uh, objection to facts, well, that's what happened to Diana West. So she wrote a, a book, a follow-up, the rebuttal, which just—I uh, mean, this was a mic drop moment, in my view. After reading. American Betrayal, then the, then the criticisms, and then the rebuttal. I mean, Diana West basically dropped the mic and walked away and schooled the critics. So you need to in read both view. books. Well, I was going to say, which one's your favorite? But I guess I'll tell you that. what, they're both, but American West, or American, American West, American Betrayal is, is my, seriously, my favorite book, and it tells, it gives us a great glimpse of the, the historical perspective the world war ii post world war ii and right through the present and it explains so much as to why we are where we're at but it also speaks to history being revised now very quickly i don't want to keep i don't want to take a moment of of time away from Dino west but very quickly the, um, there is as a matter of fact on uh diana west.net go to that website and bookmark diana west.net please do that and also my goodness, I just, I just got today. In fact, my, my daughter just set me up with this. The only audiobook I've ever, ever, ever purchased is American Betrayal. It just came out on audiobook and it's narrated by Diana West. So I, I I'm so thankful Much for better that. Than As, a m- computer voice. As a matter of fact, you can, I don't know if you can, let's see here. Can you, uh, see, I'm not lying. You gotta put your mic, well, Oh. Well, sorry about that. Maybe you can't hear it on my mic. But one thing I want to I want to start out with uh, at DianaWest dot net. I'm just going to cite just a couple of sentences here. Evidence already, and you've heard me say this before, and cite Ms. West on this. Evidence already indicates that a subversive effort was mounted from inside the U.S. government by the deep state under Barack Obama, and from outside the U.S. government by by entities including the Hillary Clinton campaign, the DNC. And their law firm Perkins Cooey. Plotters include Obama, Obama White House, intelligence community, and Justice Department officials, some of whom continue to serve in the Trump administration. Stop right there. This is part of a, really, a multi, multi, an article series. It does a red thread run through the anti-Trump, excuse me, anti-Trump coup? That's from part one. So with all of that said, and well, I should properly introduce Diana West. She's an award-winning, uh, Journalist and the author again of, of the books I mentioned, as well as, uh, the death of a grown up, of the grown up, how America's arrested development is bringing down Western civilization. So she is really on point with everything that she's writing with respect to what is taking place today. And recent honors include one of Newsmax 50 best conservative blogs for 2015, that's net, the 2014 Hero of Conscious Award, uh, from the American Freedom Alliance, and I could go on, but I won't because I don't want to take any any time away from her. Except to say that she's also a graduate of Yale, and um, just a just a really smart cookie. Want to give a warm, gracious, or warm welcome to the very gracious Diana West, Miss West. Thanks for joining us.
3: Oh, thank you, thank you very much for that overwhelmingly kind introduction. <laughs> well, I'm sitting here, kind of. Um, thank you.
1: Well, thank you, uh, for your gift of time. And, and I, I mean every word of this because, you know, in, in retrospect, in my view, where we stand today is a product of exactly what you've written about, what you've documented in your book, American Betrayal and, and, and your other works as well, but specifically in that book. And for, I, I think for people to, to understand today, they, they need to look at what happened specifically, uh, with the, soviet influence back in post-world war ii and when i read from your book just blew my mind and 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 i've got to tell you i just I, I read m stanton evans book um blacklisted by history of course you know but never to such an extent has what we're seeing today brought uh, been made more clear than, than you're writing so with that again i thank you so the 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 welcome is, is certainly well deserved, uh, uh, and I really appreciate everything you've done. Um, where to start? Because th- this to me is such an honor and there's so much to get into. I don't want to take, again, I don't want to take any time from you, but, but where, where should we start?
3: Well, let's start with how American betrayal happened because you're holding the clues on the table, blacklisted by history. Yep. What's that? and Stampton uh-huh. Evans crowning achievement it was his great life work came out in about 2007 and when i read that probably in 2008 i did not know very much at all about joseph mccarthy when i picked that book up i ve i mean of course i knew the um the general story he was the demon child of american history he had ruined anti-communism i knew that story i didn't necessarily assume I would believe it if I knew more but that was really the extent of my knowledge when I picked that book up and when I saw what Stan, Stan Evans had done in terms of reversing fake history, if we want to use the a current iteration, but re, re, reversing slander reversing lies by going back to the original documents by going back to the, the Senate records, going back to the newspapers and and memoirs and letters and everything of the day. The FBI releases were very important to his work, the things that would come out, say, in the 90s and so on, that had been classified, in conjunction with some of the Soviet archival releases that we also saw happening in the 90s. When I saw what he was able to do, I was inspired. And in a sense, what he did with Joseph McCarthy in 700 Pages, that's a very large book about Joseph McCarthy, I was able to springboard off of and continue the work of revising what turns out to be a just a a skein of lies that we have been told, we have been taught in all of our schools and colleges for over half a century now, about who we are, how we got here, and all of the great events along the way. There's a lot of revision that needs to be done and, and American betrayal is, is, is part of it. Very important to what's going on today. I will add just because if you misunderstand the past, you draw the wrong lessons from it. Makes sense. That's what we're doing day after day after day. And it's particularly important now that we're in this period where Russia is, is so much in our, in our News and faces and everywhere else in terms of trying to the, the the way the left is driving the narrative, the way Washington is essentially paralyzed, and the lessons are in our past
1: very much so and I think that that 's an excellent uh, opening statement if if we were in court that'd be an excellent opening statement for uh, for our current predicament or the current state of affairs. I was just amazed. By the in-depth research that you provided, the documentation you provided, of just how much of our past, how much of the, the FDR time, and, and all of the FDR programs, how all of that has been really mischaracterized in academia, in schools. None of, basically none of the, the inf- very, very little of what we've been taught is true, and, uh, the use of the word uh, or the use of McCarthyism to describe, uh, or as a, as a pejorative to me, uh, it, continuing today is just absolutely incredible because Joseph McCarthy was correct. Yes. You know, and, and you point this out and how, how all of this flows seamlessly through today. So, um, you, you nailed it. And in your, in your, on your website, does a red th- thread run through the anti-Trump coup? Part one through. I think it's well. It's a multi-parts uh, series. Yep, yes, okay. up to
3: now continuing. Uh, yes. And,
1: yeah. I mean, th- there it is, right there. That that's again. Th- this to me is is uh you know courtroom ready evidence, as far as I'm concerned, for uh, our current status. But but with respect to your book, if you don't mind, can sure. you uh, after M Staten, and by the way. um People hate it when I do that when I jump around. But uh, I was surprised to when I read M Stanton Evans' work. I was surprised to know that even through the late '90s and early 2000s, as he was researching this very topic, records were being expunged from the national archives and from other locations and had been expunged. Uh, did you find that? Okay. Did you find that to be the case?
3: I did. I did not do that. The extent of of shoe, old fashioned shoe lab detective work that, that Stan did in terms of traveling around and amassing this, this set of primary documents whereby he found so much was missing. But I, I certainly did have that moment in the Harry Hopkins papers at Georgetown University where, um, a, a, a series of correspondence with one of Franklin Roosevelt's emissaries, uh, George Earl, who was overseas during World War II and was working very closely with the anti-Nazi, anti-communist German resistance during the war who wanted to eliminate Hitler. It's, a, it's an amazing story, which is which is told in, in Chapter 10 of the book. And I came to a fascinating folder in the Hopkins Papers where the correspondence during a very key sequence was was listed in terms of the timeline and when I opened the folder everything was gone and there was a little tag that said it had been removed by Harry Hopkins for use for personal use and it wasn't there anymore and that's a mystery that I was unable to solve but I thought it was extremely leading I actually write about it in the book because it was such a striking moment Having learned about the the holes in our archives, you know, Americans, we did see a lot of headlines. For example, when Sandy Berger of the Clinton administration was caught stealing archive uh, stealing documents from the National Archives, and it seemed like such an unusual, unique event, and it, it was it was headlines. But what you do find out is that there are tremendous gaps in the archives, particularly pertaining to the history of communist subversion, the McCarthy years, and so on. And here I found my own in the Harry Hopkins archive. Harry Hopkins, I should say, was the most powerful man in Washington during World War II for most of the time, except for Franklin Roosevelt. So this was, he lived in the White House, he was Roosevelt's top aide. Not that well known, which is another uh, surprising fact that you learn along the way. Um, but I i think that there's one point I'd like to uh, put, put over in terms of understanding how American betrayal could, could be something new to a, a reader such as you, for example. And I think it is, um, because people will say, well, how could you write another book about World War II or the Cold War? There are hundreds, if not thousands of such volumes. But what had not been done to any great extent, certainly, was in the aftermath of the dissolution of the Soviet Union, when we were seeing a lot of confirmation, really, of what had been known in the late 40s and 50s and so on, during this period where uh, a lot of um, both Democrats and Republicans, House and Senate, were investigating this communist subversion of our government and other institutions, education, uh, Hollywood, etc., on and on, um, there had not been any effort to reintegrate what was ultimately confirmed by a number of the archival releases from Moscow, from Washington, with the history that we had been telling. So in other words, there had been diplomatic history or military history, and it really was not all that changed from decades earlier. Even though we were now finding that the diplomatic corps, the military, the, the state department and on had been penetrated by agents of Stalin in, in that particular period. So in other words, if, if a Lachlan Curry, who was one of, another one of Franklin Roosevelt's top aides was later demonstrated to have been a Soviet agent, there had not been an effort to go back and look at what Lachlan Curry did, was able to do as one of Franklin Roosevelt's most powerful assistants. So in other words there had been no attempt to reintegrate this intelligence history that was so shocking with what we are still taught. And if you go to the bookstore today and you see the latest biography of Eisenhower or the Yalta Conference at the end of World War II or any number of of events that are being retold and repackaged by the top publishers, you will not find, for example, the name Elger Hiss, one of the top Soviet agents at the State Department during World War II. This is the type of, this is what I was finding and this is what I realized was a need as I started integrating it for myself and that was really how the book, part of how the book came about. That's kind of the mechanism of the book is to try to bring this backstory, this this, this back story of deception and betrayal and, and aggression and hostility and all these terrible things into the story that we are told as a great pageant, a celebratory pageant, in fact. Wow. With a set of heroes and demons that turns out to be reversed. So <laughs> so it's it's kind of a destabilizing it was a destabilizing process to write the book, and I know it is to read it as well, because it does invert a lot of what we know, our, our sort of collective memory as a people. So it's it's challenging, but what I do in the book is I try to present the information as I came to it. So in a sense, it's a bit of a detective story because it was, for me, writing it. So it's not a um, omniscient voice that's, that's telling you this. It's sort of, well, if this is true, then what about this? And where do we go from here? And so it's, it becomes a progression of, of what ultimately, um, uh, I remember the conversation I had with my editor at St. Martin's Press, "American Betrayal." He said, "That's it. That's it. That's the title." So,
1: you, you nailed it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I remember—I I think it was in the ch- uh, beginning of chapter three. I think you wrote, uh, "Warning to readers: Reading this chapter might be hazardous to to you, your worldview." Writing it was to mine, or something to that effect. And boy, again, you nailed it there, because um as, as you, as you said so eloquently, the, the, uh, uh, everything that we've learned really is, is, well, a lot has been revised, revised, expunged, and the people of uh, today, I mean, we're not hearing what you've written, we're not reading what you, aside from what you've written, we're not, we're not reading this. And this is so important. So, um, I, I, by the way, I was fascinated with, with your book as well. Going back to FDR, how many, how he's so idolized on, the, by the progressive left. I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but when, I mean, you really did a wonderful job in exposing the communist influence in the FD, FDR years. Can we start there? I mean, uh, with respect That's to your book? That's
3: an important place to start. Okay.
1: And, and I, go ahead.
3: Yeah. Well, I was going to say, uh, the the date for me that Americans should know, and we don't, I certainly didn't, is November 16th, 1933. That is the day that the United States recognized the Soviet Union. Now, remember, we've got the Russian Revolution in 1917. The Bolshevik government comes in, and we had four presidents and six secretaries of state who refused to recognize this revolutionary regime dedicated to overthrowing all nations of the world by violence makes sense <laughs> and yet franklin roosevelt changed that policy in a very um dramatic move and this becomes for me a a point of un, un you cannot exaggerate the importance of that point for our country because the terms of recognition Essentially boiled down to an agreement that the Soviet government signed promising not to overthrow our government, not to support networks um, and agents and parties involved in throwing overthrowing our government, not to foster this in any way, shape, or form even as they were doing it before the documents were signed and even as they continued and expanded and simply um, went into full throttle to, to do that very thing after the documents were signed. So, in other words, we had to close our eyes to the truth of what had been, and then in order to maintain the agreement, which became increasingly important throughout the Roosevelt years in particular, we had to continue to lie, to essentially... Join in with the Soviet lie and turn a blind eye to what was going on. Not only did that happen, giving rise to all manner of double standards in our foreign policy, and I would argue going to our own essential, essentially going to every aspect of our culture as well, but it also ended up with this, um, this situation where the, um, the administration was Enabling the, uh, in shoring up the Soviet regime at the same time. And indeed, when you get up to World War II, we actually go into military alliance. And one of the, one of the places where I was really brought up short in terms of my understanding, because, you know, you listen to this and it sounds, um, unfamiliar. But when the great Soviet novelist and, and dissident writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn came out of, out of the Soviet Union in the 1970s, He gave his first speech in the United States in 1975 to the AFL-CIO, and he talked about these two dates, 1933 when we recognized the Soviet Union and 1941 when we engaged in military alliance. And he could not understand our moral calculation because he compared it to the years before, for example, during World War I, Or earlier, where it was, it was very difficult for the West to ally with Tsarist Russia based on its suppression of revolutionaries, of dissidents. And we considered it a very, um, repressive regime. And when he showed the numbers in terms of the deaths that would be accountable to, under the Tsar for say a hundred years of fighting revolutionaries in Russia, I don't remember the exact figures off the top of my head, but it was in the, it was in the double digits let's say, for a year, and you get up toward the Russian Revolution, the Soviets take over, and you start seeing summary executions by the thousands and the tens of thousands, and on and on to this point of, of genocides, multiple genocides, and we're fine with alliance, we're fine with recognition. I mean, these are the kinds of double standards that essentially the Roosevelt administration brought into our nation. And I don't think we've ever been the same again. Um, We've never gone back to real truth. And I think that so much of what we see around us in our culture, the cultural relativism, moral relativism, and so on, I actually argue in the book that it does go back to this very signal event in our nation's history. It created so many deep, dark problems um, that it's 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 hard to overestimate the importance of that date, and it also one other point, and then I'll I'll come back to you. But it also permitted a massive influx of co- ideological communists, Soviet agents, fellow travelers, and and very far left people into the government because everything was okay now. And, and the Soviets were our friends. And so this is where you actually see what they call the trapdoor of Soviet influence, of KGB or NKVD at the time. It was called influence, where you actually start seeing the agents enter into the mainline departments of the U.S. government, mostly through the Department of Agriculture, interestingly enough, but then they fan out. By World War II, it was an incredibly dense network working not for us working for
1: Stalin and that's really interesting I, I was uh, ag- I was against as as you stated there I was surprised the uh, FDR New Deal programs how that was seemingly like this fertile ground for uh, the uh, grooming and, and even uh, the funneling of, of foreign agents specifically Soviet uh, communist spies I, I suppose into our government um, and even at the level of the State Department as well. We're about a minute, well, less than a minute out from a break, but uh, the State Department, it seems like it, that that's like a spy magnet then yeah. and now. What's up with that? I mean, is, is, again, 40 seconds out from break, but what, what, the State Department, is that just a... Uh, I mean, how is that possible?
3: Well, it's more than 40 seconds worth, but yes, it is. It, Of course, it is a vector of power, so it does draw all people who want to exercise power, and increasingly unconstitutionally. And, and again, we can go back and see how it happened in the 1930s and 40s and watch how it progressed.
1: All right. So when we come back, that that's, uh, I think, it's a very important issue, and especially considering we, we talk about the uh, Russian collusion today, the left. This is all you hear, Russian collusion. Well, first of all, collusion is not a crime, but that aside, um, the russian influence i think we are i don't think i know the collusion or the influence is not uh was not invited by necessarily the republicans but no no it's on the wrong side uh our guest is diana west diana the author of a tremendous the tremendous book now available on as an audio book via Amazon, but this is the book American Betrayal, you need to get a hold of a copy of this book, I prefer hardcover but I also have audio American Betrayal, it's available on Amazon we're going to be more on the other side of the network break, stay right where you're at Welcome back to this edition of the Hagman Report. Our very special guest, Diana West, author of American Betrayal, the secret assault on our nation's character, audiobook just came out. Uh, I, I've got to tell you, I, I, I just, I'm absolutely uh, tra- entranced by American Betrayal, the book, especially because you hear all of the accusations of Russian collusion and uh, these, these really false narratives about where we are today and even more troubling is how we really have not been told the truth about our history especially our interaction with communism and how our nation has been really betrayed from within and that's the subject that's really the essence of american betrayal as diana west has really laid this out so nicely and of course go to dianawest.net it's linked in our program description and of course follow her on twitter speaking of uh... the inversion the collusion inversion. It seems like the the uh, progressive left left is saying, you know what, Donald Trump colluded with Russia, that's bad. But yet, it, it's not the truth. I mean, the, the, the real collusion, as, as we've seen, appears to be more on the on the uh, on the left side of, of the political spectrum. What is going on here, and how did we get to this point from from where really where you started? I mean. Post World War II, FDR, uh, all of that to where we are today. I mean, what's 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 going on here in in, in the larger sense? If you can just entertain that broad question, and then we can we can focus.
3: It's a question I entertain every day, as I'm sure you do. I think what's going on today is essentially what's been going on for a hundred years. I think that it's very important to examine the events of the day, the Russian collusion, the Russian meddling all of it, in terms of continuity with Soviet Union to Russia, I don't think we can look back and see a break. And I think once you start at least entertaining that notion, you can start making sense of certain things. And I would say, though, that the 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 emergence of the Russian collusion story, which we've learned so much about, thanks to the House Intelligence Committee and Judicial Watch and certain other uh, some investigative reporters, Julian Assange at WikiLeaks. We've learned a lot. It all started during the Trump campaign back in the summer of 2016 when I think the left began to get very nervous that this very strange, anomalous, unusual, never-should-have-happened candidate Donald Trump was going to be president, might be president and the Russian collusion that we certainly have seen for decades particularly in the Clinton Bill Clinton years certainly in the Barack Obama years and we would have seen and you know we dodged the bullet the Hillary Clinton years have been exposed to a new cop in town and I think that he was so different I'm sure you've talked about this so often he's so different from everyone else that this was such a a threat and it still is. It's a threat to this day so we saw this emergence of essentially a I guess the psychologists call it projection. We saw the emergence of this idea that Trump is the Russian colluder, the puppet, the person who's helping Putin, et cetera. Whereas when we actually look at things, we see that it certainly in the Obama years, the Reset years, the Hillary Clinton uh Secretary of State ship, we see nothing but aid to Putin's Russia. And the most dramatic example I can give you of that is you've heard a lot about Russian hypersonic missile capabilities that we cannot match. Well, if you go back to the Russian reset of the Obama years, you find a place called Skolkovo, which was a Russian reset, uh, Silicon Valley setup that the Obama Clinton, Hillary Clinton uh, administration fostered with, with Russia, with Moscow, in which massive amounts of breaking, cutting edge technology went to Russia, including what became hypersonic missile technology and this is something that is not my I, I didn't invent this this comes right out of the uh, army and army report in 2013 that was very alarmed we saw the FBI very alarmed about tech transfers back around this same time and sure enough this is what I call Hillary, Hillary Clinton's hypersonic missile gap that's a real thing and yet she calls him Putin's puppet in a debate Coming down toward the wire. So I think we have to understand there's a mirror going on here. And I think that we also have to understand that there is no serious interest on the left in, in unpacking Russian collusion. It is a political hammer. If, if there were an interest, we would see, we would actually see legislatures of, legislators of both parties Opening up a bit, and I think the most in terms of un, you know in investigating Democrats and Republicans for this this um, terrible terrible infiltration, and I think the best example of that is our Special Counsel Robert Mueller, because back in 2010, when he was FBI director, Robert Mueller Robert Mueller's FBI rolled up a 10 year long most one of its most successful counterintelligence operations ever, an operation called Ghost Stories. Whereby they arrested 10, 12 Russian, highly trained Russian illegals. These were the, these were the, the Russian agents who were living here undercover as Americans. This was a a false, false, uh, false identities who were moving into, at the time, moving very close into New York and Democratic political circles, including getting very close to a cabinet official who was Hillary Clinton. And when that was rolled up and they were sent home, if you remember, immediately without the normal debriefing, without the normal efforts to turn them, without all the normal things that happen in counterintelligence, getting a very good trade. Um, we can talk about that trade a little later because it's the unfortunate British uh, citizen now who who's been attacked with chemicals. Screeple, mm-hmm. uh was one of the uh, one of the people traded. When they did that, did you see Robert Mueller, FBI director, come to the American people and worry about Russian influence on the Obama administration? Did you see any kind of of problem with what had happened? No, they treated it like a James Bond movie. And when we fast forward and we look at that indictment of the Russian trolls, so-called the internet trolls in Russia, by Mueller's office a few weeks ago, people he has no hope of ever prosecuting in court, we see that in 2010, he was able to, wanted to protect the Obama administration from real Russian influence, exposure to real Russian influence in terms of the American people understanding it. And in 2018, what is he doing? He is trying to dirty the Trump administration with fake Russian influence. So this is clearly not an issue of national security. And I would, I would connect that to the wider left the left is not interested in national security, they're interested in political power. And I think that's the best way to sort of look at why we might be having this very strange inversion whereby the people associated... With with the Cold War, with being anti-communists, with trying to be the, the the National Security Party, the Republicans, and and now the Trump administration are the ones accused of of appeasing Putin. Whereas the flip side, the Democrats, the left, the appeasers, the people who were all about uh, appeasing all manner of dictators and strongmen in in Soviet Union and Russia, now they are presenting themselves as the Cold Warriors. It is very phony. It is a deception campaign at home. It's it's hard for people to sort of see through it, but I think once you start actually studying the past, it starts standing out very starkly, that it's obviously not national security they're interested in, but they are interested in this terrible situation. And I I think that it can be very dangerous if we ever do find ourselves in a hot war, because all of a sudden, who gets blamed? Well, the narrative tells us that it's the right, it's the Republicans, it's President Trump. So that becomes a very dangerous Threat that sure. would come to us in the future. So that's why it's so important to try to punch holes in this kind of this kind of deception.
1: Deception everywhere. Um, and, and again, as you mentioned, especially with Robert um, Mueller, uh, Dan Boncino who I'm, I'm sure you know, posits yeah. that uh, uh, really Mueller is there to run interference and, and to cover up the. the uh, the crimes, not just the crimes of Obama and Clinton but the collusion as you mentioned, and that also extends to uranium one uh, yeah. which you referenced how, how big of a story is uranium one at this point because I've, I've been getting so many emails uh, just since you've been on uh, at uh, listeners even from uh, from the uk and uh, uh, from other south uh, South America and the uk asking well what about uranium one uh, how big of a story is that
3: It's huge. in in a normal in a normal news environment, the people responsible, not just Hillary Clinton, but all the department heads who signed off on Uranium One, Robert Mueller, Rod Rosenstein, the the officials at the time who were responsible. For suppressing the story of the Russian attempt to take over the nuclear trucking business, which is a, which is a story that's not been widely covered at all, except, uh, except by Sarah Carter and John Solomon and, and, and Sean Hannity talk about it. I don't know any other people really in the, in, in the media who do, but this was a, a very important corruption story with, with an FBI informant who's given us so much information that was hushed up. So that the uranium one sale could go through with some, uh, caveats in, in Congress. There was concern and yet it could, there was no power behind it and there was no, no, um, way it seemed to stop the deal at that point. So this is a very concerning matter. It is a scandal of huge proportions. I mentioned Skolkovo earlier, another scandal in terms of the tech transfers that have, that have created a, a, a modern military threat, a, a, a threat that the um, expert Peter Pry talks about escalation dominance that Putin now has over our forces. I mean, this these are very serious national security questions that so long as they keep the fires burning on the Trump campaign and collusion, we cannot get to this extremely important scandal that 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 has that is is so massive compared to what we are daily given by the washington post and adam schiff and and various pundits and people on on the left or in the mainstream it it it's 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 a it's a crime of deflection at this point and it 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 is very difficult to get through it. We hope for a good inspector general reports to um, you know, bring bring things to light. We hope uh, House Intelligence Chairman Nunes continues in his very valiant effort to expose these things. But it's very difficult because the atmosphere is so um, uh, rigged against against coming to the truth. And I think that that again is kind of one of these parallels back to American betrayal. Because what you learn, what I learned in writing the book, was that the truth had constantly been suppressed that the people who stood up to tell the truth were constantly tarred and feathered and, and destroyed with, with Senator Joseph McCarthy being just one, very primary, but one example. All along the way, the people I call the truth-tellers were essentially destroyed in, in terms of their public uh, uh, reputation and, and credibility in this same swampish kind of media, political um, echo chamber. So the history is there. I try to uncover it in American Betrayal, and it relates directly to what we're experiencing today because the patterns are the same. And you earlier alluded to um, my Red Thread series, which I'm working on. It's kind of a thought experiment, but it essentially started at the end of 2017 when we had a number of revelations that we could look at in terms of what we were finding out about the FISA court abuse and some of the other uh, scandals. And when you think about it, the change in power in Washington is very routine, going from one party to another. It's really not that big a deal for Washington people of, of both par- of either party to find something to do. While their party is out of power. I mean, it's, it's the revolving door. We all know about this. It's, it's, it's not a, it's, it's business as usual. That's one of the things that makes America America right. is we have a peaceful exchange of power and, and you don't see extra legal criminal conspiracies take shape. This is what the question I tried to ask myself was, why are these, especially the bureaucrats, people who are not even political appointees, people who have fantastic jobs, very high-level jobs, well-paid, great pensions, lots of power, interesting work, they're set. Why are these people committing what sure look like crimes to me? Why are they risking it for Hillary Clinton? I, it doesn't make any sense. It it didn't make sense. Exactly. Mm
1: -hmm. And I've got to say this. You point that out so well. As a matter of fact, um, I printed out the entire uh, red thread and keep it in the notebook and highlight it. You pointed this out so well. Is it really all about just politics? Or is it really all just about Hillary Clinton? I mean, are they doing this all just for her? That really hit me right between the eyes.
3: Yeah, me too. Okay. Me too. Because it, it. So this is why having having done all of this research, which has continued. American Betrayal originally came out in 2013, so we're we're coming up on five years. And my research has actually continued the whole time. So with all that I've been studying and learning since the book came out, as well, I I started looking for patterns and I started looking for ideology because what drives a person, if it's not the simple. Uh, acts and normal acts, what is driving them and you look for the zealots, you look for the people who are on fire for a reason for a cause. We know what the cause has been over the last century. We know about communism, Marxism, socialism, progressivism, whatever you want to call it, although I like to call it Marxism. Um, I started looking for evidence and I started finding it. i I, I wasn't even sure what I would find. Um, the most fascinating, Bit of it, which I I think gives a good flavor of 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 the kind of people involved, is is a woman um, named Nellie Orr. Oh she, yeah,
1: oh, she, oh please, yeah, I I love this part, and I that that was a topic. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting excited. That, that that was a topic of my morning show. Uh, I devoted an entire hour to your coverage of yes. Nellie Orr. It blew my mind.
3: Yeah, go, yeah.
1: go ahead. Uh,
3: well, just it 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 um. Well, you look at Christopher Steele, the British spy who's involved. And, of course, he spent most of his career as an official secret, so you're not going to find a whole lot about him. You're not going to see a lot of writings. But Nellie Orr, it turns out, is an academic. Now, she is the wife of Bruce Orr, who used to be the number four man at the Justice Department. He was a liaison with Steele, and she was working for Fusion GPS, where Christopher Steele was... Ostensibly the creator of the, the, the so-called dossier that was funded by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC through their law firm, Perkins Cooey. So again, we've got, we need a flow chart right away, but that's basically the, the setup. Nellie Orr was a PhD at Stanford in Soviet history. When I found that out, I found her PhD, and when I found that out, I realized she had a, a a great interest in Stalin's 1930s after the great famine created by the Soviet government to starve people into collective farming to destroy the private agriculture that existed particularly in Ukraine where we saw tens uh half um I'm sorry between something like 6 to 10, Robert Conquest went up as high as 15 million were killed in this terrible famine which I should have mentioned earlier subsided just as Franklin Roosevelt decided to recognize the Soviet Union this was not unknown to the West this terrible famine, something else Solzhenitsyn asked, how could you recognize the USSR right on the edge of Europe where 6 million people had just died so that's just a little backstory. Nellie Orr, however, wrote about the stabilization of collective farming. Struck me very strange. And when I looked at it closer, I found that she was a follower of what's known as a revisionist school of the 1970s and 80s on the American campus that was essentially founded. Many of the early founders of this academic school, according to one of the actual founders, were Marxists and New Leftists. So already, we're looking at a highly ideological, highly communistic school of thought. That's what Nellie er- or comes out of. And when you see her other academic writings, you see the same kind of people that she is following and boosting and discussing in very positive terms, including one phrase, I'll just stop here, but one phrase that I cannot get out of my head is she talked about the frustration as a teacher. She taught at Vassar for, in the 1990s. The frustration as a teacher to convey, quote, The Terror and Excitement of the Stalin Era. So, I mean, the idea that someone could find excitement in the Stalin era, I think, does sum up a great deal about that person. This is not a person you want at the center of an anti-Trump attempted coup. You don't want someone who thinks that the government... It's exciting when the government Oh, sorry, there are excesses Millions of people are killed However, there are good things that come out of it This is essentially what her writings tell us That she believes This is the woman married to the Justice Department official Operating with Christopher Steele Fluent in Russia Russian Also, cute fact took out a ham radiator, uh, radio operator's license as she started work for Fusion GPS, which old Cold War uh, devotees will remember. A lot of spies use ham radio. They're very hard to detect. And she also has a CIA credential, at least in around 2010. She was some kind of an analyst in a CIA-linked uh, open-source organization. We don't know the extent of her CIA involvement, but I think the question needs to be asked. Does she know John Brennan? Was she somehow related uh, having, see, is she still a contractor? Her presence at Fusion GPS raises the very disturbing idea of CIA spying on the, on, on the opposition party in addition to just domestic spying period. But there are a lot of answers we still don't have about the Oars. And I will also add that Bruce Orr, even though he was demoted because he had not Come clean about this um, relationship with his wife and GPS fusion on his, um, on his forms that he has to fill out as a government, um, a government employee. Um, he still goes to work every day. He still is a, he still has a good job, a big job at the Justice Department. So that's how things go in Washington. But we'll see. We'll see if we get more information and, and see more out about the oars. But that is Nellie. And, um.
1: And, and I was, I was amazed as well. Uh, I'm, I i do not know of anyone else who brought this up, even, uh, Sean Hannity and Sarah Carter, but, but, uh, to the depth that you have done, um, and to the extent you've done, Nellie Orr, uh, uh Glenn Simpson, Mary Jacoby, uh, Glenn Simpson's wife, but, uh, uh, and, and I think Steele as well overlapping at the, expert uh, export, export working group back yeah. in 2010, as you referenced CIA. Uh, yes, so, yes. So, yeah.
3: I think people, um, in terms of the, you know, you look at Nellie Or, and I guess the, the shorthand is she is an apologist for Stalin in her historical outlook. And that's a very shocking thing to say. And I, I think that people, most media, um, are afraid of the ideological component. We've been taught not to look at communism. We've been taught not to look at Marxism in these very specific uh, uh Situations, and I think going back to what we originally were talking about in terms of how McCarthyism has become a controlling, almost like a hocus pocus kind of incantation. People are so easily deflected from pursuing these um, lines of inquiry for fear of being called McCarthyite or 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 practicing McCarthyism, which has been turned on its head to mean looking at at and and accusing or investigating an innocent person for no good reason. I mean that's essentially the rap on Joseph McCarthy and it couldn't be more false. Um Stan Evans, one of the um Stan Evans passed away in 2015, a great loss to us all and to me personally I'd gotten to know him in the last couple of years of his life and he was a great friend and mentor. One of the fi- one of the last pieces of very valuable journalism that he did was a piece called McCarthyism by the Numbers. And it ran at Human Events and also at Breitbart News. And essentially what he did, he did something he'd never done in all the years of his um, research into McCarthy Matters. He was the preeminent expert in America on Joseph McCarthy's uh, political career. He, he counted, he counted them up. He counted up because people say, oh, he didn't even find any, or they had all been exposed, he didn't even do anything um, amidst doing all that damage that he did. And that is absolutely not true. It doesn't matter what academic expert tells you that, it's not true. And you can go and find the table that Stan constructed. He came up with 50 and stopped counting. 50 Soviet agents, ideological communists, and and suspects who took the Fifth Amendment when asks us questions about whether they had committed espionage in the last <laughs> six months or whether they covertly belonged to the Communist Party, etc. People who took the Fifth Amendment rather than incriminate themselves, um, perjure themselves. So, 50. I mean, that is a large number for one man and one committee who was really only operational for a few years there. So, this is um, quite an achievement and became, um, became lost to us through This disinformation campaign that unfortunately continues to this day by people who should know better, scholars who should know better, academics, pundits who don't do their own research or who deceive us.
1: Exactly. Exactly, and and our guest is Diana West, folks. If you're just tuning in, Diana West, author of a number of books, including American Betrayal. We've got it right here, and of course, look on your screen. Diana West dot net is her website. Follow her on Twitter as well. Uh, American Betrayal, perhaps one of the most uh, comprehensive and, w- if not the best book I've I've re- I've read on, on the. Soviet, or the the uh, marxist soviet infiltration of american government and and i just i'm just so excited to have her uh, with your permission we're going to forgo the bottom of the hour break and just push push right through this because there 's so much information to really to cover um if that 's okay with you sure, okay sure. okay good uh, so we 'll run right to the top of the hour and i want to thank uh, global star network uh, for, for allowing us to to, to forego the network break one thing that surprised me as you have written, now, You, had, as you stated, your book is going on five years old, but I don't think it's ever been more, uh, I don't think it's ever been more relevant than today. If I would have read this back in 2014, I would, I mean, I would have liked it then, but reading it here today, it, okay. it just, things just begin to click and then you're.
3: Me too, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just amazing. But one thing that's, that somewhat surprised me, was the blowback that you got after writing this book, the blowback not from the progressive left, but on some some people on the right, to the extent that you wrote another book, which just again your mic drop moment, which is the rebuttal, which I've got right here, folks. If you if you, uh, uh, I would I would urge everyone to 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 get both of these books. But were you surprised because you were talking about brainwashing and, and how were you surprised at the reaction uh, of the yes.
3: Yes, I was. I was expecting such a reaction from the left, but I got it from the right. I got it from so-called ex-communists and so-called Cold War, well, they are Cold War scholars who in a sane world would know better or would seek to know better. And I think that the experience I had of being attacked was very educational because I was looking forward to a good old fashioned debate. It could get, it could get very heated as far as I was concerned. I've been a columnist for, for, I was 15 years a weekly columnist. I'm perfectly okay. used to, um, give and take and, and it can get heated. I don't really mind it a, a bit, but when I was consistently lied about, when my work was consistently lied about, I knew something else was going on. And it was first a matter, you you kindly referenced the rebuttal. The rebuttal was written um, after I was um, essentially... Uh, uh, Maligned and my work was maligned as disin, as, as, as yellow journalism was the, was the phrase. And this was at Front Page Magazine, which is run by David Horowitz, who's, who's known to people in conservative circles as a former communist who, who, who tells us that he, he changed in after Ronald Reagan's second election. His, his re-election, David Horowitz came out as a conservative in 1985. Um, it was very surprising. I would say shocking, um, and looking back on it again, very educational, because over time, first in terms of rebutting the lies, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it other, any other way, but there was so much essentially made up. About the book that I had to use the phrase "not in my book." I don't know two dozen times in the space of that rebuttal, and had to explain that I was actually told by legal counsel that given the the way the internet works, nothing ever goes away, and and so my the recommendation was I really needed to rebut every single every single falsehood, and that's why I actually ended up writing a 22,000 page uh, a volume. Which originally ran in three parts of Breitbart News, but I couldn't just leave it there because it would sort of, you know, flitter away as the as things do. And I, I combined it into a book with some of the commentary that was also written about the book and the, the debate or the controversy. So what is it all about? Um it's a very complicated issue, but I think that the patterns become very clear that there is an effort by those that we entrust as experts of. Um, Domestic communism and the Cold War in America That they don't want the truth exposed They don't want the history revised to get closer to reality And what the takeaway is Is that we are not supposed to understand How the Soviets subverted our country How communists subverted our country We are not supposed to understand that secret assault On our nation's character, the mechanism of it they don't want us to understand, and where we are today—the the the screenshot or the the picture of my website that you show—the top article—it's it's amazing to me. It is actually a rebuttal to the Washington Post, which two weeks ago ran a piece by Harvard professor named Mark Kramer, who's part of the same group. Two weeks ago, this is almost five years after the book came out. One week after the audio book came out. Coincidence, I don't know, but one week after the audio, the <laughs> Washington Post Outlook section dismissed KGB influence and American betrayal both as a myth. It's a it's a standard feature. They have five myths about blank, and this was five myths about espionage. And I am myth number five. American betrayal is myth number five. There's no such thing. That's what right. they do, what they want us to understand, is that espionage is the theft of secrets. In other words. All it is is about stealing formulas, atomic formulas. It's all about um, overhearing uh, diplomatic gossip and reporting. It has nothing to do with the infiltration and influence either on policy making or war making. Or any other, any other. Um, it's
1: passive surveillance. Is is all according to Mark Kramer. It's just yeah. mere passive surveillance. It's it's not interactive.
3: It's nonsense. It's nonsense. I mean, it's, right. it so it's it's illiterate to the point of nonsense. Because when the Soviet Union began, in itself, it was a deception. In itself, it created deceptions in order to, to fool the West into thinking, A, it wasn't really communist, B, there was a, a, a network of anti-communist white Russians who were going to take over, and it, that's known as the Trust in the 1920s. It was a complete fabrication that sucked in all the anti-communists so they could essentially kill them all and get Western credits. We've seen nothing but the rep- repetition of that period known as the Trust throughout Russian history, a ride on up to Glasnost and everything else, I would argue. And there have been so many iterations of that. That's just one tiny little vector of that. But the, the effort to, we've just had in our own headlines, not enough headlines, but it is a news story, the efforts by Russian money to influence, um, American think tanks to, uh, um, uh, lobby against fracking. This has recently been released by, I believe it's the House Science Committee. They just released a report showing Russian funding against our fracking industry. That is an influence operation. I mean, these things go on and on, and they go back to the 1940s. They go up to today. They don't stop. I would argue that the Trump collusion story is another influence operation. I mean, this is just the way they operate. So for for someone who is the director of Cold War studies at Harvard to try to erase this central function, not just of of the KGB or the SVR, whatever they're going to call it next, but the entire Kremlin, all of its diplomatic and its various state functions, its scientists, everything... The, the, the function is deception they live and breathe deception and we cannot, it is not our style it is not in our DNA, it is not the way we do business um, as westerners but it's something we have to understand so when you see the experts essentially preventing you from understanding this, you have to worry very gravely about why they are doing this and this is something that I've studied and it's, um, it's a grave concern
1: you know when you pointed that out to uh, to me and to John um, the the post piece by Kramer myth number five espionage muscle aims to sway the uh, policies of hostile powers that being a myth when in fact exactly when it, when it's not um, and learning as you just mentioned that they we're talking about a a Harvard uh, professor here with. Uh, uh, well, he's a director of Cold War studies I'm, i I just have to ask, as you just did w- w- what is being taught and right.
3: um, uh, so down our it's dumbing down our our understanding our knowledge base if 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 you are taught that the Cold War really just amounted to the Rosenberg theft of atomic secrets, and of course, they're basically small fish in that very large conspiracy to steal our atomic secrets, Mm -hmm. multi-continent, and you were taught that Alger Hiss stole secrets and that that was his, his grave sin, then you are not understanding the Cold War. You are not understanding World War II either, which is another sticking point with these same people. Essentially... If you start to appreciate the extent of the infiltration, and let's look at the 1940s, we can name about 500, but there were more because we never even were able to crack open all the cells. The cells came to us essentially through defections of famous people, Whitaker Chambers of name people may know. Elizabeth Bentley, another very famous defector from the Soviet cause that told us what was going on. There were other defectors and, of course, FBI surveillance that began as a result of what they were being told. But when you actually understand this, you have to start questioning a number of the decisions that were made by our government that essentially created the evil empire as we faced it in the Cold War it it becomes a very disturbing profoundly upsetting experience but i think it's something we have to face the people who attacked my book did not want us to come to this reckoning and or even to debate it i mean that's that's sort of the more important point this wasn't just simply against the conventional wisdom and a matter of you know having it out in public and so on and and writing about it it was a matter of making it radioactive by essentially calling me McCarthy on steroids. That was the title of the opening salvo in this disinformation campaign. Now, I take that as a great compliment, but it was not meant that way. And and so this, this becomes another way of closing our minds, stopping the debate, putting up um, um, radioactive radioactivity signs so that people don't even want to get involved. And essentially creating a a a a cone of silence around the whole subject so again disturbing why would this be what are they really about what is it what is it really about in terms of of controlling our understanding of the past if we don't get the mechanism right in the past we're surely not going to get it right today so it's a very dangerous practice and it's something that we really need to throw more light on and and not less
1: I agree a hundred percent with you on that, and it's amazing how this becomes a toxic topic. Right. As you mentioned, the radioactive. It's it's uh, to me this what we're witnessing today, at least in my view, we're it, we're seeing a coup take place, and perhaps one of the one of the biggest stories in American history, at least in modern times, take place. And and as you so aptly point out in your not just not just your book that lays the basis of this, but but um the uh from your website does a red thread run through the anti trump coup uh the ideology behind this it, it all of the pieces now are fitting together so it, it, where we are today are we seeing a uh uh the the confluence of events the kind of the kind of the final chapter here the final push uh toward the completion the active measures by by uh by by the uh communists by the Soviet spies are we seeing today that fruit of, of the, the tree that was planted 100 years ago, 50 years ago, whatever, you know, a long time ago? Is I, that is that what we're seeing?
3: I think we are. Again, there's great continuity with the past. The same goals are, are being enumerated, the same techniques are being used. I mean, we talk so much about the influence of of Twitter and social media and, and so on and the manipulations. However, it really is just a change in the medium. We had the same kinds of information war going on all this time going back to the daily worker the communist organ and it's and it they called them transmission belts into um the washington post or into the white house or into the various papers and discussions and so on it there's always been an information war a war of deception and i think that the continuity again is very important to see here it is a fruition and the problem now back, I look at the end of World War II when the uh, period of the great Red Hunters begins if you will, when we start seeing the investigations into what had gone on in those four terms of Roosevelt and Truman, in terms of communist infiltration, I look back at that period, say 1946 to 1950 as this moment where the swamp of the day was suddenly visible and the lawmakers of the day, as the Republicans took Took control. And again, we did have very great Democrats and Republicans doing the same work. Um, Senator Pat McCarran was a great investigator. He was a Democrat, for example. Martin Dyes, the original House Committee on Unrecognized Activities chairman, a Democrat from Texas. So this wasn't just a, a, a partisan issue at that point. But what they were looking at was essentially the same swamp. It's just gotten that much worse because even with all their tremendous efforts, and you can't even believe the the debt we owe them in terms of what they did expose and get on the record. And again, this is more lost history that I've been studying, particularly since the, I finished American Betrayal. They were defeated, ultimately, in the, in the information war because their record has been expunged. They have been expunged or demonized. And this is why it's so important for us to go back and reclaim them, I believe, for us to have any help of actually draining the swamp today, it isn't all. President Trump is just not. It, it's not a job just one man can do, and it, it, he is 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 no better equipped than than any of us. It's 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 a situation where we really need to study. We really need to get back to these basics because the roadmap is there, and and the the um, I, I'm so impressed with the caliber of the lawmakers of the day who were doing this difficult work because imagine. We didn't know that these people were communists. We, There was no revelation. They were lying. They were covert. They were hiding. They were fighting. And they were essentially dragged out, kicking and screaming into the light. I mean, when you go back to, say, for example, the very famous Soviet agent Kim Philby, he used to have lunch every week with the CIA head of counterintelligence, the famous James Angleton. 18 months, Angleton had no idea he was a communist agent. I mean, this, this is the kind of drama I'm talking about in terms of it's difficult to pull them into the light, but if you don't know that you should and you don't know that it can be done and you don't understand the um great example that Joseph McCarthy and Pat McCarran and Martin dies and on and on gave us, we are too ignorant to do the job today, and I guess that that is. That for me is sort of where I keep coming back to and essentially the application of American betrayal, the book or the information therein and, and more continue, you know, please everybody do their bit, um, has to be applied to today because at this point we're looking at the same problem, but we don't know what to do and we don't know how to approach it because up to this point we have been losing. We lost the Cold War. This is another thing people don't understand, but just ask yourself, if we had won the ideological Cold War, why would we worry so when our children go to college that they're going to become Marxists? You can't have a pro-Constitution student on a college campus. You can't have a speaker. How is that possibly a symbol of victory in the Cold War over Communist Russia? It's not. It came here. It won. This is, this, these are the kinds of deceptions that we have essentially been very easily gulled by. And I, I as well, I'm not, I'm not special here. I'm just saying I've spent more time studying it so that you start to see things fall into place. Once you start to see them fall into place, it's amazing how many other things fall into place. And I just hope, I hope so much that people take the trouble to do this kind of historical homework because for one thing, I find it very fascinating. it is like detective stories, but it has this incredibly urgent application today so that we can actually triumph over this terrible this terrible movement that is trying to take away our liberties, trying to take away our constitution all the things that they promised to do in nineteen eighteen today a hundred years later
1: exactly and and that that's quite quite the answer to the question uh you know, are, are we seeing today the, the, the fruits of what was planted back then? So, uh, exactly. And it's interesting, 1918, 100 years, now 2018. Uh, the other aspect of this were additional aspects of, of, of what we're seeing as well. You wrote this past Sunday uh, a column that deals with the uh, uh, political correctness. And, uh, folks, go to Diana. West.net. The link is in our program description, but check this article out. Uh, I was just I was just thrilled to see information unpublished from chapter twelve that, that you posted um, on, on your website. But it deals with the with the PC issue. It yeah. deals with 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 Islam is peace that that false narrative and everything that we're seeing that's wrong with all, our culture, well, and our character. I guess hence the subtitle of your book. is today so uh, I mean again everything fits
3: it does fit and I think that the realization starts to become clearer that so much of totalitarianism that we have been taught to look at overseas in these poor benighted countries that were taken over by the communists and so on so much of the practices are here, and PC you mentioned, is certainly part and parcel um, of these totalitarian practices whereby our speech is controlled, whereby your thoughts are controlled. And these are these are Soviet, these are Marxists. These are the basics of the entire creed. and we we don't tend to link it up to Marxism. We tend to call it, well, PC. But PC is very much um, a non-description. It, it does come out of this same drive. Um, one of the things I, I I put on my website over the weekend was an excerpt a friend of mine sent in, a reader, uh, reading a, a memoir of the Cultural Revolution by a Chinese woman who was describing this very profound moment when her mentor was, was sadly communicating with her about the state of affairs in China during the Cultural Revolution, and where she said that Even if it's a donkey, we have to call it a horse. And I think that that really encapsulates a lot of what we go through in America. We have too have been conditioned to accept untruth as truth. And we fear breaking those taboos. And going back to Donald Trump's electoral success, he was a national charismatic figure who broke these taboos that had to have a huge part, uh, uh, effect on his, on his election. Someone who wasn't afraid. I think that this, this is, this was a profound moment and a profound lesson for us because I think we've become so afraid. How can that be? We don't have a gulag and yet we have the same kinds of social conditioning. And this is where you start to see the imposition of the ideology. In an earlier book, The Death of the Grown Up, I, I explained how that state that sort of fallen state which you might call infantile someone who's afraid to stand up and have their own identity actually makes us such targets for islamic law because islamic law is very much about controlling the individual's speech and of course beliefs and 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 life as as a free speaking individual it doesn't exist the individual doesn't exist under islam doesn't under exist under marxism and so these are the kinds of trends and, and terrible um, vectors that are coming through our society today that, that, again, have this ancient provenance, and certainly over the past century or so, that we can document. And I would just add one other thought, which I think is very fascinating, that around 1990, there was a very important Soviet theorist named Arbatov, who was giving a series of speeches in the United States where he's talking about Gorbachev's reforms, so-called, et cetera, you know, and he actually discussed the idea that he, that they were going to take away our concept of an enemy, that they were going to remove from our understanding of the world. They were, what an enemy is, and that, therefore, this was um, sort of a, 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 a clever point to make that I think has come true because if they supposedly changed, then all of a sudden we don't have that, that tension with the enemy, with the communist enemy. It's gone supposedly. And it makes, it makes our behavior, our rationales, our, 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 our thoughts about the world, our role in it very difficult. And again, I think there, there, there's any number of reasons to consider that in itself, the whole dissolution of the Soviet Union, a deception that we have to come to grips with, very difficult to. Um, but it, it, there's great evidence that things just simply shifted once again as they had done over decade after decade in varying ways. So these are just some of the things that we're, that we're being sort of buffeted by. And, and given our, the situation in our education system, equally undermined by communists going back a century not there were really weren't that many good old days even in our past mm-hmm. in terms of communist infiltration of the schools and so on going back a century i find um we're just not equipped so it really is up to us citizens to equip ourselves
1: it's it, exactly and, and to your last point uh you you had written in your um your your uh, thread our major secret weapon is to deprive you of an enemy, of course, that is uh, attributed to Arbatov. Um, And that that really depicts that one statement alone. We we could spend an an hour just dissecting that concept. And, of course, what we saw with the supposed dissolution or the uh, dissolution of the Soviet Union and the removal of, at least the perception of removing the enemy, um, which... Which is just uh, uh, not true. Uh, We only have a few minutes left. What haven't we covered that you feel, given today, the headlines of the last, uh, well, the last year, your last months or weeks or whatever, or anything at all? What would you like to address here in the the, uh, few moments that we have left? The floor is yours.
3: Oh, that's very kind. Well, we've done a pretty good overview. I think that, I guess, I guess if leaving this discussion, which I've greatly enjoyed, I think that there is great need to question what authorities tell us. You know, we go back to the 60s, and that was the mantra of the 60s left, question authority, but it couldn't be more apt today. I mean, in terms of, the authority at this point I mean we've seen the left embrace the institutions of authority that have been subverted right the FBI and the Justice Department and the CIA we're not supposed to question authority and yet it is essential that we do this because what we've seen is a tremendous departure from constitutional government um, one of my other bailiwicks is just the the disappearance of checks and balances the um the perfect balance that is necessary for our Democratic Republic to function. And we've seen that again. Roosevelt becomes <clears throat> a very key villain in the um, uh, throwing out-of-balance checks and balances and usurping power for the executive, and it's really continued ever since him in particular. So this becomes a very um, critical Point for people to consider and 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 weigh. Um, that one is 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 very urgent. I don't know where that goes. You know, we we've just seen an omnibus bill pass. I mean, it, it's 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 we're in a very we're in a very degraded state. We see the headlines of this week where um, the census is now supposed to take into account whether you're a citizen or not, and the tremendous pushback. On that, I mean, that to me, I'm so glad that the census is now going to take that into consideration. But consider a country, supposedly a country, whereby citizenship is now considered a racist question, um, some kind of white supremacist question, I don't know what. The, the characterizations are absolutely mad. But this again goes to this idea of post-nationalism, um, globalism, again, all of these harbingers of the Marxist project. So I guess that that would be another point to really drive home that there are connections to make and, and, and fighting to restore the context. I think that's another aspect of American betrayal that was very important for me because you would hear of or read of some kind of development that made no sense until you could fill in the context and understand the period. So. It really puts a lot on, on the individual to go back and study because we're just not learning we're just not learning what we need to know to remain free citizens.
1: Wow, I'll I'll tell you what, I, I certainly agree with your, your statement uh that this I, I believe this was a good beginning, a good opening, a good overview of much more that we I, I really think that we have to address and you're the person really I believe uh, that has the most authority the the most factual uh uh your investigative research that that 's contained within American within American betrayal uh and the rebuttal and, and your columns at, at dynowest.net, dot net uh you 're just the person to do just that and I think we need you hopefully you're open to coming back and to getting uh as we see headlines develop and things happen. To come I back would and
3: love to, to. okay, yes, thank you very much. Good. I would love to.
1: All right. Well, it, it certainly has been a, a very distinct pleasure and an honor to speak with you and to, to be able to spend this time together. It was a very generous gift of your time tonight, and we are going to. Uh, promote you will be promoting your book uh throughout uh, tonight and all throughout this week and and well as for as long as i'm sucking air, error because i think by far this is the best best work on uh, really what we're seeing today and the history behind that so we really appreciate your time and
3: uh, oh thank you so much i've enjoyed it greatly thank you
1: thank you all right uh folks that was diana west Author of *American Betrayal*: The Secret Assault on Our Nation's Character. Follow her on Twitter on her social networking feed. When uh, uh, tomorrow, tonight, late tonight, early tomorrow, that interview will be isolated. What you just heard will be isolated, and it'll be a standalone interview. I would urge just share that with everyone you know, and by all means, by all means, grab yourself a copy of *American Betrayal*. And of course, she's written other other works as well, including but not limited to the follow-up to American Betrayal, because of the criticism, uh, or the the uh, well, the criticism on record, uh, even by some members of the right. The rebuttal, which is a good companion piece, and you know, it it angered me um, more than I suppose it surprised me that she had to actually go through and redocument what she had already documented to to not convince but to essentially what i would like to what i would describe as having to write in crayon um what she had already written in, you know using a, a word processor go down to that level that intellectual level one step in order to to communicate the facts that she provided in american betrayal so very fascinating indeed i hope you got a lot out of that i know i did and again diana is our website follow her on twitter and American Betrayal, the book, just came out in audiobook. And I want to thank Jackie for downloading that for me. Gonna be listening to that as well. So, uh, twice read, once heard. Folks are listening to the Hagman Report coming back on the other side. Pastor David Langford, the voice of evangelism.com coming right up. We need that spirit, uh, shot of, uh, that spiritual B12 shot, don't we? Stay right where you're at. <laughs> for today it is wednesday march 28th 2018 joe hagman's 35th birthday actually my son's 35th birthday can't be tell me it ain't so right um but nonetheless it is uh but having said that uh i want to thank each and every one of you for joining us and thanks so much for your continued belief and your support in us you know this uh we just heard an interview with diana west we just heard her speak about uh, her book, of course, American Betrayal, but the more important part, how America has been assaulted from within and from external forces, and those forces being communism. So what's the an- antidote to that? Of course, the intellectual, uh, you've got to become educated, informed, and information provides empowerment, but there's another side to that as well. There's a spiritual component to that. So, what better way can we cap off this interview, the Diana West interview, than with Pastor David Langford, who joins us every Wednesday. Pastor Langford, thanks for joining us.
0: Oh, it's a great joy to be with you guys tonight. And if uh, Joe can hear me, happy birthday, Joe.
1: Yeah, actually, he, he stepped away. He's in another part of the, the studio, but uh, uh I expect him back soon. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's uh 35 years. Can you believe that? First of all, it's amazing he's still alive. I, I didn't have him Killed him yet? This is my son. I'm allowed to say that, but uh, you know, that's like I mean, the it's... Lord.
0: He loves us, but sometimes he wants to kill us.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's, uh, but but it's 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 great to it's great to have you back. And there's just so much going on, uh, so many things. What would you like to get into tonight, Pastor?
0: Well, Monday, I was sitting here in my office. I was answering a piece of mail. And uh, I heard the word sift in my spirit. And uh, most people know what that means. We'll talk about it here in just a little bit. But then Monday night, uh, I went to bed and I had gone to sleep. But in my subconscious, I was being oppressed by demonic presence. And I would have to... Awaken myself completely out of my sleep, and to become totally cognizant, totally awake, to rebuke this entity, whatever that it was. I, I really don't know other just to say it was dom- demonic presence. And this went on for probably four times in the period of two hours, and finally I just begin to lay there in the bed and just plead the blood of Jesus Christ, and finally the oppression that was affecting my subconscious to the degree I couldn't sleep uh, it finally w- was removed and then last night uh, I don't know it was 10, 11 o'clock and I told my wife I, I, she was already in bed I said get up let's pray let's seek God I said because there's something going on and and I don't know what it is and to be sifted uh, uh, is it, sometimes allowed by God it's the will of God and to be sifted can be a very uh, arduous and difficult phase of our lives to go through. And I was lying there in the bed telling her that I believe we are all, if we are not already have entered into, we're going to enter into a time of sifting. and Not only for our personal lives, because that's how God's going to prove our genuine love for Him. But I said, I also believe it's going to be applicable to our nation. Uh, we've talked about this now for weeks. Well, One of the YouTube videos I did, I talked about Cyrus, a type of Donald Trump, and Isaiah chapter 45, verses 3, uh, the garbage truck time disposal. But tonight, as I was listening to the Bear Report, 6 o'clock Fox News, Peter Ducey was uh, doing the commentating on this particular scenario wherein they've only been using 27 agents, FBI agents, to go through the documents and look through them and they were grumbling about the length of the time it was taking. So he agreed to double it from 27 to 54 and he used the word, we have to accelerate sifting through this. I told wife, I was "I paused. pause, I said come and listen to this. They are talking about, in the Department of Justice and the FBI, sifting through this stuff. I said, I don't believe they realize exactly what's taking place or what they're even saying. But we are most familiar with that statement in uh, Luke 22, beginning at verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as sweet but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fell not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day, before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And many years ago, I exegeted that passage of Scripture and when he said behold Satan hath desired to have you he was telling Peter that Satan has exceedingly demanded that I give him your soul and he that he may sift you with sweet and of course uh, Strong's exhaustive concordance says to sift means to prove by trials uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon says it is a, a figure of speech by inward agitation to try one's faith to the verge of almost overthrow and this is what's going to happen to some people uh, regretfully tonight I, I hate to say this there'll be those whose faith will be so agitated they will be overthrown that doesn't mean loss peter's faith was overthrown he was tested as i said the greek says that satan exceedingly demanded of the lord jesus christ that he give him peter's soul but jesus said peter i have prayed for thee that thy faith fell not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. His faith was tested. He, As you've heard me say, uh, he, he broke the doctrine of confession. In Matthew 10, uh, 32, 33, Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever therefore shall deny me before men, him will I deny also before my Father, which is in heaven. So that was a doctrine that Christ had established, the doctrine of confession. We find that doctrine reiterated by Christ himself in Revelation chapter 3 verse 5. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels so Peter was sifted uh, sifting is a terrible thing to be so tried that uh, that we're literally agitated and I spoke somewhat about this last week about being provoked uh, Satan will seek any means or any method to drive us into a state or a place where our faith fails. Now, Peter's faith was not utterly lost and utterly destroyed because we know that he repented. The Bible said after he rebuked or he denied Christ those three times, he went out and he wept bitterly. He he no doubt was very remorseful and sorrowful for his sin of renouncing Christ. He, he, He wouldn't confess Christ before the multitude. He was afraid for his life. But I believe our our nation, I believe ministers, I believe ministries, I believe individuals right now are entering into a time of sifting. Now God allows this to get the chaff out of our lives. We've heard the term winnowing. And when you winnow wheat, you throw it up in the air, that was the way they did it the biblical times. They would throw the wheat up in the air And the wind would drive the chaff away from the wheat and would separate it. And God is going to allow the separation to come because there are a lot of people who profess Christianity. Uh, A lot of people today want to be liked. Preachers, they want the crowds to like them. So they dare not say anything controversial, they dare not say anything about sin. You know one of the great uh, things that I get as far as emails and letters is people say, "I am so glad that you are uncompromising in your message." I, I had a lady uh, wrote me a card today, and she said, "You are minister- ministering to me more and more encouragement to me than my church pastor where I attend." And it's very humbling to hear those kind of statements, but I know that's the state of the church. The Bible talks about this also in, in in an Old Testament perspective in Psalms chapter 1. David said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law, or the word of God, And in his word or his law doth he meditate day and night. God's people keep their minds and their sanity by hiding God's word in their heart. David said in Psalms 119, 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. He said in Psalms 119, Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? He answered by saying, By taking heed thereto according to his word in Psalms 1 verse 3 David said and he the man that meditates on the word of God day and night he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season his leaf also shall not wither whatsoever he doeth shall prosper the ungodly now when anything is ungodly that means it has once been godly So now because they have departed from the faith, they're professing one thing with their mouth, honoring God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him, they now become ungodly. So in verse 4, Psalms 1 and 4, the psalmist said, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous because that's ultimately what they are they're sinners they live in sin so therefore they are sinners and then he closes with verse 6 for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous but the way of the ungodly shall perish the ungodly will perish those who have been ungodly but now they've become ungodly when they start being sifted, then that's when they're going to lose out, because that's how God is going to find out when he allows the sifting to come, whether you are determined to remain as sweet or are you going to be like chaff, that the wind, the wind of God oftentimes is a type of judgment, and that wind is going to drive the chaff away, Uh John the Baptist understood uh, the sifting process, the winnowing process. He said in Matthew 3, 11, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is milder than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now watch this, verse 12, Matthew three twelve, whose fan is in his hand. So God, with his divine hand, creates a wind, a literal, physical, slash spiritual wind, whose fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So John the Baptist fully understood the, the things that Christ would teach and would preach because he was filled with the Spirit of God from his mother's womb. So he had a a, a, a preunction of the Holy Spirit. To, to have an unction it means to have an anointing and to know things. And you can know these things prematurely. He knew the doctrine uh, that Christ would be preaching. And so he's already preaching about being sifted. He's already preaching about being winnowed. He's preaching about whose fan is in his hand. You know, uh, you remember the old day, Doug, when we'd go to a funeral home, everybody had the, the the handheld fans, and the name of the funeral home was on the fans. And they gave them away to people for advertisement. Oh, 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 yeah. And they would sit there. You know, and then when we go out to the cemetery, they had them out there under the tents, the hot air, and they were creating a type of wind. Well, God's going to allow, or God's going to create a type of wind. And there's a lot of things going to take place. And, and, and just like Jesus said to Peter, he said, Satan has desired to have you. And he told him why. He said, that he may sift you as wheat. Uh, Satan wants us to become the chaff, that part that is worthless and useless. Uh, it might make uh, create a little bit of uh, substance for the sake of starting a fire. If you had enough of it, you would need tons of it because it would it would burn up so quickly with, with the hot fire. But what so what is so impressive to me is that Jesus Christ is our advocate. He said, "But I have prayed for thee that thy faith." fail not. Now, as I said a moment ago, in retrospect, Peter's faith was tested, and he did fail, but not to the degree of becoming chaff and being burned with the unquenchable fire and losing all that he had. Now, we, we understand that because of what he, what he did. He's cursing, he's swearing, He says, I I don't know the man. I don't know who this man is. And that was breaking the doctrine of confession. But again, he said, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Jesus Christ ever lives to intercede for us. Uh, we're, We're told in 1 Timothy 2 and 4, for there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus when Jesus said to Peter, I have prayed for thee, he was mediating between the Father and Peter. He was the advocate. Uh, we're, we're told in 1 John 2, uh, that's one of the most powerful passages that's ever been written for every Christian to read and try to fully understand. Uh, 1 John 2, 1 John said, My little children, These things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the perpetuation for our sins, not for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, John tells us who who Jesus Christ is. He is our advocate. He is the very person that is our our go-between. He's considered similar in this content as the paracletos relative to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to give us comfort. He comes to give us aid. But in this particular instance, Jesus Christ is the paracletos, or he speaks in behalf, uh, as, as like a a legal advisor, he, he pleads or stands proxy um, for you and I or on our behalf when we sin, when we fail, when we miss the mark. Now, I've said this scores and scores of times. I do not teach, I do not preach sinless perfection in the flesh. But the, the problem with that is people they have, have taken that and as as is as, as Paul told the church at Galatia, he said, "You're using your liberty for an occasion of the flesh." And 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 I'll paraphrase that. He's he said, "You're using your liberty for an occasion to sin." You're taking this liberty. Um uh, Galatians five and thirteen. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not. Liberty for an occasion to the flesh or an occasion to sin, but by love serve one another. So, people, you know, want to take this liberty of grace, and we preach, you know, such a monumental grace, and it is a monumental grace, it is unfathomable grace. But we've taken this great grace. And we've tried to use it as a license to sin. I, I hear this statement all the time. We are all sinners saved by grace. That is a fraudulent statement. Once a sinner is saved, he's no longer a sinner. He's a Christian. Second Corinthians five seventeen, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Paul spoke of himself in the past tense as being the chiefest of sinners in the past, but not in the present nor in the future. We know we sometimes stumble. We know sometimes we fall. That's why we have a mediator. That's why we have an advocate. Psalms thirty-seven twenty-three. David said the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet have I never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed-begging bread. You know, people today are looking for an excuse to fail. They're looking for an excuse to sin. They're always pointing their finger at this situation, that situation. That is a weak, anemic, poor, professing Christian. When I miss the mark, it doesn't do me personally any good to blame my wife or to blame someone or to blame a circumstance. I have to take responsibility for my own actions. It's called discipleship, and the root word is discipline. I have to remain disciplined in my life, and when people lose their discipline, and we've witnessed that in the the FBI, uh, these these text messages, these adulterous affairs. Uh, you know, I wouldn't even watch Hannity Monday night. The reason I wouldn't watch him because all he all he wanted to talk about was this porn star and this sodomite uh, Anderson Cooper. Now, what what can a porn star and a sodomite say? That somehow is going to help me as a Christian. And if any Christian person watched that, you need to ask God to forgive you for watching that. I don't want a porn star who sees nothing wrong with sleeping with just strange men for the sake of money. I don't want a sodomite trying to tell me anything about the news when they don't even understand their own sexuality. And what little bit I heard, this was just nothing but wicked, nefarious, uh, garbage and talk. And it's, at the end of the day, it's what the Bible said. The love of money is the root of all evil. And for the sake of money, uh, for the sake of numbers, uh, you know, ratings, they put this trash. And, and I would hate to think that a Christian would even lend their eyes would lend their hearing to any of those things, because that's how we get infected in our spirit. And and I, I listen, Donald Trump is not a pastor. He's not a preacher. He carries no mantle in the sense of being a God-called, God-ordained minister. I believe God is using the man, but God can use a jackass. And my faith is not in the man. My faith is in the God I serve, because it is God Who raises men up, it is God who pulls them down. God can change the presidency overnight and Mike Pence could be the president in the morning. But so many times people wonder why they have gotten sifted. Sometimes it is a test from God, allowed of God, to bring you to another level. Sometimes it is a, it's, a, it's, it's the will of God. God allows this trial. He allows this to come into your life because God is wanting to open another door or uh, give you another greater opportunity. But, you know, God's got to know he can trust you. You know, when, when we read Job chapter 1, uh, verses 6 and 7, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. The Lord said unto Satan, "Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, "From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it, and you could just hear the arrogancy, the bigotry, uh, you know I've been you know stoking riots and murders and uh, you know, abortion, you name it, I've been doing all of this garbage. And the Bible says, "Just out of the blue, then the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job?" There is none like unto him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God, and he or stays away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Has not thou made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. So God suffered the devil to sift sift Job like wheat, and he went out. And he destroyed everything that Job had. But he had no success. And then Satan goes back the second time in the second chapter of the book of Job, and he's making another appeal. And this appeal was even more Arduous, more difficult, more egregious. He says in, uh, in Job 2 and 5, but put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse thee to thy face. So this is where the rubber is going to meet the road. Let me touch him physically. I touched his children, his oxen, his she-asses, his camels. I, I took everything. Let me just touch Joe personally, and, and this is a, this is one of the most profound statements you'll ever read in the Bible. In Job chapter two, verse six, and the Lord said unto Satan, "Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life." I preached a message years ago, "Man and the Hands of Satan." The Bible said Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he and he took pottery, he, he took a piece of broken pottery, and he scraped himself with all all over his body, and he sat down among the ashes. And then his wife she says unto him, Are you still going to retain thine integrity curse God and die now think about that what she was fundamentally saying was, why don't you just curse God and go on to hell Job but he said unto her thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh what shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil and all this did not Job sin with his lips he didn't make false accusation, and we don't read for he ever made any brags, as though Peter, the same ones that Peter made, when Peter said, I'm ready to go with thee both under prison and to death. Of course, Peter would become one of the great apostles that God would use to pen epistles for you and I. And so what I'm sensing in my spirit there's coming a sifting. We're, I really believe we're already in this sifting time. And this is where prayer and consistency and bathing our mind, bathing our spirit in the word of God will keep us and preserve us. Because life is a reality. But when God allows the wind to blow, uh, you take a hurricane, it affects everyone. Some are negatively affected more so than others, but everyone is negatively affected. And Satan has untold hatred uh, against God's people. Uh, this is why the nation of Israel, and I know I'll really make some people mad tonight, but that's all right. This is why he has tried forever to destroy the nation of Israel because it was through the loins of the Jewish people that God gave us the Messiah and of course Jesus himself said in John 4 22 salvation is of the Jews and, and so there's this un, unimaginable hatredness and the same uh, hatred is toward America and as I heard the lady on, on before me talking about this consensus this that we're going to take in 2020 are you an American citizen you see, they want to destroy this nation because this nation has still been a bastion of truth and of integrity. But we, for the most part, we've lost all of that. But see, the pendulum is beginning to swing back the other way. And and, and God is going to find out what's in every man's heart. God, God is so just... Now, he knows... He knows what's in every man's heart. There's there's nothing that God does not know. He, you don't you don't have to give God an oral book report on Doug Hagman. God already knows Doug Hagman's heart. You don't have to give God a book report on David Langford. He knows uh, John two twenty five, and for he knew what was in man. God knows everything that's in man. This sifting let's let's look at Peter specifically God knew what was in Peter's heart he knew his instability or, or, or uh, his unstableness he knew that the sifting was not for the sake of destroying Peter his sifting was for the sake of Peter coming to understand who he was where his weaknesses was now we know that the uh, Three times, three times, Peter denied Jesus Christ, and of course the last time he's cursing and he's swearing. I don't know the man, don't know, have an idea who he is, and at the last he's, he's finally cursing and swearing to the, to the degree that, I don't know this man, And and as soon as he says it the third time, the rooster crows, and then Peter remembered the words of the Lord that's why when you go back to the twenty first chapter of John Jesus asked Peter three times do you love me now why was he doing that that love that that supreme love was negating those three denials of Christ he he was trying to heal the, the wound uh, and no doubt peter if I, I, I surmise was struggling to forgive himself he couldn't he still couldn't believe he had did what he what he did he just he just couldn't believe he actually denied Christ to that degree but Jesus was breaking that doubt he was breaking that uh, lack of i don't want to use the word self-confidence or or lack of confidence. In, in himself as, as he had failed God, but he was reassuring Peter, "I still love you. Nothing has changed." You know, when we when we miss the mark, when we fail God, God's love does not change. What we allow the devil to do is to lie to us and say, "See there? Now God doesn't love you anymore, or because you have failed God, God's leaving you." Uh, the whole time that I lived a life. Uh, as a backslidden sinner away from God uh, drinking more liquor than a a gasoline tanker could carry down a road you know I was out of relationship with God but I, 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 I when I came back to Christ I never let those things hold me hostage because whom the Son has set free is free indeed so those three times with rapidity he would say to Peter do you love me And Peter said, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said, Feed my sheep. And, of course, he he did it the third time. Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he had said it. The Bible said the third time. Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Well, how could Peter say you know all things? Because he's the one that foretold what he was going to do. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Then he prophesies to Peter. And he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whether thou wouldest not. Well, what was he talking about? He was talking about there would be a day when Peter would, would have to uh, have someone else gird him because they were going to take him to his death to his crucifixion and of course we all know the story that, how he said I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord he said crucify me upside down Now, the angel of the Lord understood the prophecy in Acts chapter 12. I want to share, I want to tile this together tonight. Acts chapter 12. Now, about that time, Herod, the king, stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. Satan is always seeking to vex us, and he uses people, institutions, whatever, to vex us. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread, or Passover. And when had apprehended him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four quadrants of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. So the world is celebrating Easter. I got a, a, a letter from a lady the other day, she's rebuking me and she didn't even know the word Easter was in the Bible but yes she's rebuking me but it's in the scriptures but the Bible is telling us about the paganism but it it tells us before it mentions the paganism what they were actually keeping were the days of unleavened bread let's go back to the, the prophecy of John 21 and how the angel in Acts chapter 12 understood that Acts 12 verse 6 and when Herod would have brought him forth, Peter, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. So there's your, your, your four so- soldiers keeping him, four quadrants. So they were probably having four shifts. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side And raised him up saying arise up quickly and his chains fell off from his hands and the angel said unto him gird thyself and bind on thy sandals and so he did and he saith unto him cast the garment thy garment about thee and follow me so what did the angel tell him to do he says hey you gird yourself you gird yourself why we're getting out of here it is evident that the angel of the Lord understood the prophecy given to Peter when he said in John 21:18, And another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. So, see, the thing is that we, we, we struggle in our humanity. God knows the end from the beginning. He knew that Peter would deny him before Peter ever denied him. He gave him a prophecy, and he's telling him years on down the road now, this is going to be toward the end of your life. There'll come a time when you won't be able to gird yourself, but another will gird you because you're going to be under arrest. Well, he was under arrest here in Acts chapter 12, but it wasn't his time. And so the angel says, gird thyself, we're getting out of here. And of course... Peter thought it was a dream but when he got out of the prison he realized it was it was a reality it was it was a reality it wasn't something a dream a vision it was real physically real and of course the Bible said the the angel the door opened at his accord I always tell people there was your first electric doors that you see at Walmart or any kind of grocery store there they were and the 12th chapter of Acts the power of God opened up those doors so I want people to understand when God allows us to be sifted, it's it's not to hurt us, to destroy us. It's for us to find out about our own selves. Uh, there There's some listening tonight. You feel very certitude about certain things. Uh, you know that that that, 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 that you're invincible, uh, you're impenetrable. Uh, you, you you know it just can't go wrong. Uh, do not get heady. Do not get high minded, and don't brag or don't boast. Proverb twenty seven one said, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. The day before Jesus was arrested, Peter was certitude, he would never deny Christ. He would never do it. But he did it. And so sometimes God wants us to see ourselves, because we regretfully, we see ourselves in one way and God sees us in another way I don't know if I've said this on your program Doug but I've shared this testimony it was back in 94 when I just come off of that forty day fast and I was standing in my bathroom I was shaving and the Lord spoke to my heart he said you're a very weak man I said not me you're talking to the wrong dude and I heard it in my spirit again You are a very weak man. And I said, Lord, I am not a weak man. I refuse to believe that I am weak. I'm very strong. I carry an anointing. I spend an enormous amount of time in the Scriptures. I am not a weak man. And then the Spirit, the Lord, began to show me how weak I was. And he said to me, have you ever handled me physically like John the Baptist I said no Lord he said "Have you ever baptized me like he did in the River of Jordan I said no Lord he said have you ever seen the Holy Ghost descend on me in the form of a dove I said no Lord he said have you ever heard the thunderous voice of the Father this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. I said, no, Lord. He said, John the Baptist experienced every one of those things. But when he was in prison, facing death, he calls his disciples to himself. He said, go ask Jesus, is he the one or look we for another? Now you think about what I just shared. How that John the Baptist experienced all of these things. Every one of the things I just shared happened personally to John the Baptist. He leapt or leaped in his mother's womb when Mary said, I am carrying the Messiah. He, 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 he she leaped with joy in, in his mother Elizabeth's womb when he heard those words, and he was filled with the Spirit of God from his mother's womb, he was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He experienced all of those things. He experienced every one of those things. But then, but then, when it comes time for him to face death, to show you the weakness of the most strongest men, the strongest men, John the Baptist, Jesus said among them that are born among women There hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist Notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of God Is greater than he In uh, the 11th chapter of Matthew But when facing death He said go and find out Is Jesus the one Or should we be looking for another And that just shows you how Sometimes we perceive ourselves one way but God sees us another way, and so we may make our our brags or or our self confidence or our certitude be uh, in a place it, it shouldn't be. This is how we deceive ourselves. We fool our own selves. You know, James one twenty two said, "Be ye doers of the word, not hearers on, uh, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves." We we have the power. To deceive ourselves, and so I just want—I want to encourage people in, in closing tonight because we never know how the sifting process will come. We, we don't know what the sifting may be. It may not have anything to do directly as touching you physically, but someone close to you, something that you are associated with, something that you are a part of may be injured, harmed, or something of that nature, and it's going to affect you emotionally, it's going to affect you spiritually, it may affect you physically, it can make you literally sick, uh, the gravity of the news. I'm not trying to be morbid or sordid or or, 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 or or put some ugly uh, words on what I'm trying to convey tonight, but we never know, we never know what the devil is plotting. And how we are seeking uh, to to deceive us, to manipulate us. I was when I was in Dallas. We, my wife and I, had dinner with a couple, uh, Stephen and and Jasmine Wood, and uh, they wanted to take take us out to dinner uh, for my belated birthday. And I was sitting there talking to Stephen directly, and my wife was talking to Jasmine, and I was sharing with Stephen. I said, Stephen, don't ever think I don't consider my life my lifestyle and how I handle myself and he was looking at me with like some kind of bewilderment I said if I were to backslide if I were to quit preaching if I were sifted to the degree I quit how would that affect your life how would it affect other people's lives and this is why when you are in ministry in any capacity the The gravity, the responsibility, and and this is why I I know, without a doubt, a lot of these guys do not have a calling on their lives that are on on radio. They have zero calling. They're self-appointed. They're self-knowing because they don't see anything but themselves. They have an agenda. They're trying to climb a ladder of success, but they don't ever consider what would be the consequences if they sinned if they were openly exposed and and just shamed to no end, and and were off the radio, or or, or were off the programming of any any capacity, uh, their internet uh, website was taken down, etc. Because godly men have fear of the repercussions of other people's blood being on their hands. And I think about that constantly. That is one of the things that is a, a a perpetual monitor in my life. if I mess up what will it do to other people's lives see and, and 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 it's it's sad to say, but it is a reality because I'm the same way. There are men that I have tremendous uh respect and confidence in because of the godliness that I, I witness in their life. And there are those who claim to be this and that, but I have no confidence in them because the fruit of the spirit is not there. And so what they say, what they advocate appropriate, put on a website, it, I, I don't even waste my time to go there and read it because their life does not exemplify Christ. Paul said, "Be ye followers of me, even as I am also of Christ." In other words, if I'm not following Jesus, you quit following me because you're following a man now, and we've got to follow Jesus. Jesus is to be magnified. Jesus is to be glorified in us. We are we are we are written epistles, Paul said. We are living epistles. We we are or vessels, and we're supposed to be vessels of honor that are sanctified and meet for the master's use. We're we're, we're supposed to be. Uh, servants of God And of course we all serve in different ways but at the end of the day we have to ask ourselves if I miss the mark if I err what will be the consequences not only for me personally what about other people who who listen to us who tune in to hear what we have to say 2nd Corinthians 3 2 Paul said ye are our epistle written in our hearts known and read of all men i get letters emails every week you're affecting my life you're affecting what's going on in my life you're making they 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 want to give the credit to me but i tell them it's not me i i, I can do nothing it's it's the word that i preach it's the it's the god that i serve it's the holy spirit that lives in me and see don't think satan will not come to sift you to destroy you, to make you ineffective. And as I said last week, Satan will provoke you. I, I, listen, we are all carnal human beings. We have our pattern of lifestyle. We, we have, you know, I have my own way of uh, taking my shower. Then I do my shaving. Then I brush my teeth. Then I blow dry my hair. We, we all have our method of how we live our life and the devil sees that pattern of consistency. But then all of a sudden he starts plotting. I'm going to put a plot in here and get them sideways and get them so distracted. And as I said, God sometimes will allow that to happen. Now, God does not tempt us. Let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived it, bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's uh, James chapter 1, verses 12, 13, and 14. God doesn't tempt us, but God will allow us to be sifted. Because remember, he made it clear. He said, Satan hath desired to have you. And as I said, when I went back and and read that under the Greek, uh, studied it out, God... Jesus Christ and the devil were having this conversation And Satan was demanding Jesus give me his soul Give me his soul But Jesus Wouldn't give him his soul He didn't say you're not going to fail Because he did fail But he said I have prayed for thee And when thou art converted Which is a a type of saying You're going to fall You know But I pray that your faith fail not What did he mean by that that it would utterly fail to the degree like Judas is Iscariot and you go out and you hang yourself. There, there are those who have missed the mark of God and who could not handle the guilt, who could not handle the condemnation and they go out and they do something dangerous, they do something crazy. That's why Romans 8, 1 says there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and of death. That is not the Mosaic law. That is the law of sin. That's the curse of sin and the curse of death. But the law of the Spirit of life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us that that power, that ability that we can walk the walk, we can talk the talk. And then if we do fail, we don't quit, we don't stop, we get on our knees, we ask God to forgive us, God restores David said, he restoreth my soul in Psalms 23. God is a God of restoration. You know, as I said, I think it was last week, he said, none is lost but the son of perdition. He doesn't want to lose anybody. Uh, 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. But that all should come back to repentance. I personally believe Judas Iscariot could have repented. I do. But the guilt, the condemnation drove him to commit suicide. But Peter sinned just as grievously, but he went out he wept bitterly. His his weeping and bitterness was was remorse and sorrow. I, I've sinned. And so everybody handles it differently. And uh, I, I just want to encourage me because I, I really feel in my spirit Monday, that I heard the word sift. And and I know that can put fear and consternation and, and maybe an element of anxiety, but that's not what God wants you to have. He wants you to come forth as pure gold. Job said, after I've been tried, I am want to come forth as gold. I know I'm being tried. There's a reason for that. And of course, in the end, God multiplied double everything that Job had. Why? Because Job stayed faithful in spite of it. And if, and if those of you listening tonight will just stay faithful, just stay the course, you know, just be faithful in the little things. Just be steady. You know, God's not expecting you to, uh, you know, take down mountains and aircraft carriers and battleships. Just stay faithful when the times get tough, and God will reward faithfulness. That's all he ever asks. You got to be faithful. That's what he said in the Matthew twenty twenty five twenty three. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He said, "You have been faithful over a few things." That tells me I will not always be faithful over everything, but I have been faithful over a few things, and that's all God expects out of all of us. And I just pray tonight that. Uh, Maybe I would encourage you to to go back and read uh, Luke 22, uh, Peter's life, and then then look at the great anointing on his life in Acts chapter 2, and how he preached that great message following Pentecost, and 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus, and they were, for the most part, Jewish people who repented and and came to know Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Amen. So, Mm -hmm. Joe, Doug, I hope we've encouraged somebody along the way tonight.
1: I, I think so. Definitely a, to be sifted, a time of sifting and the acceleration of the sifting. What a message, uh, Pastor Langford, and what, what a timely message indeed. Uh, if I can just ask, we only have about two minutes left. You had referenced a reference day, Easter, of course, and, and I know this is a time of year when people will say, well, that's a pagan holiday. Well, we, we are celebrating Resurrection Sunday.
0: Amen. That no, I, I would always, when I was pastoring, I always told my staff, musicians, singers, anybody that would ever be on the stage, on the pulpit, have a microphone in their hand. I said, don't ever use the word Easter. That's paganism. Right. I said, if you're going to reference that, always use the word that we celebrate as Christians, the resurrection. Correct. That's where the emphasis should be. So yeah, that'll be Sunday. That's right.
1: Okay, Re- Resurrection Day. I'm sorry, I, I said Resurrection Sunday, but Resurrection Day. The mean, yeah, resurrection... it,
0: it varies. It, you know, it changes from year to year, and that's because right. of the, uh, the the Jewish feast holidays. Right. I should say feast days, not holidays. Feast days, and it changes. Some months it's in March. Some years it's in April. Uh, this year, uh, of, of all times, the of April, the first April fools so will be the devil trying to make uh, a joke out of that. But, hey, <laughs> he knows. That Jesus was yeah. resurrected. That's why he ever lives to make intercession for the redeemed.
1: A- Amen. Amen. Pa- Pastor David Langford, the voice of Pastor Langford, thank you so very much again for your gracious gift of time and-, and your very powerful message. And I know that it it uh uh I know that it resonated in many hearts tonight. So thank you. Really appreciate it. Well, God
0: bless you, and you guys have a wonderful week and Lord willing, we'll see you next week in the Lord.
1: Amen. All right. All Thank right. you. God
0: bless you. Have a wonderful night.
1: Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. Wow. What a powerful program tonight. That was Pastor David Langford, the voice of com. prior to, to that. And by the way, the very well needed, much needed, uh, shot of, uh, a, a spiritual shot of, of, a B12 shot of spiritual, uh, uh, insight. And, um, uh, given the headlines of today, and isn't it interesting too how he mentioned the, uh, the, the time of sifting and the acceleration of, of the sifting through in, in that case the documents how all of this is coming together time disposal remember the uh, sermon from a couple of weeks ago. So all of these things are connecting, coming to, seemingly coming to a head, and that's what we're seeing today. So uh, a very powerful, in my view, a powerful program tonight. Don't forget, folks, tune in to my radio show in the morning, 9 o'clock, 9 to 10 Eastern time on BTR. I've got notifications that, gee, I wasn't notified. Well, it, it, um, I'll, I'll look into that, but uh, for both for all programs on the Blog Talk Radio Network, if you just click follow, I think it's follow us, follow me, follow the show, whatever it is. There's a button there to follow. And that, that the only thing that uh, that does is allows you the notification of when a new show is posted or a new show is coming. So do that for the Hagman Report, all three shows. And then, of course, uh, follow us. Uh, uh, in addition to that, follow us on our social networking platform. And then tomorrow night on the Hagman Report, again, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern time. So all of this combined, my goodness, we, uh, yeah. Two pieces of information. Yeah. One, uh, Alex
2: Jones is reporting that the Deep State detained InfoWars correspondent Ted Maluch um, in London and questioned him about his relationship with uh, President Trump and the in Russia, which uh, go to InfoWars.com for that. Yeah. Also, the DOJ announcing they are opening an investigation into FISA abuses of the FBI. Uh, and that is on Daily Caller. I will post both of those stories on
1: Hagman Report. And as we open with that, uh, at the opening of the show, we, we we discuss that. So that is coming, and I'll be discussing that in my morning show and why that announcement is so critical, what's going on, why now. We've known about this. And, of course, uh, I referenced at the beginning of the program Tracy Beans as well, uh, talking about a, potentially a grand jury confirmation there. So all of this happening all at once, it seems like. Well, with that, I want to wish everyone just a fantastic night. And again, catch us tomorrow.